you doing, Mitch? I'm good. I'm good. Um, it's funny to say jet lagged on an hour flight. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't change. Oh, it changes time zone once. Right? No, no time no zone time. change. Yeah, so Nashville, like, and so there's literally no jet, you have lag. No jet lag. It's just travel. You being just, tired from yeah, traveling or you whatever. You were just in but, the air for an hour. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah, you like get up and get down and look around and see all the smiling babies and mothers and fathers and children traveling for Thanksgiving. It was sweet. It was kind of sweet in the air. A lot of family traveling. Dude, so many people. Um, I was nervous I wasn't going to get through like all the security checkpoints and stuff in time for my flight. I only had like 15 minutes when I got there. and But it man, I managed through it. I mean, I was so quick. I was... I forgot my real shoes, um, so I'm wearing moccasins for Thanksgiving. <laughs> so my <laughs> mom's going to kill me. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, for everybody at home, um, <laughs> as I left the Uber in pure in- excitement, I left my phone in the Uber. And so the first 15, 20 minutes of being at Ben's house, who I haven't seen in, what did we say, five years? Five years. See, haven't seen in five years. Time meant to be spent up. Time meant to be spent Catching up. Yeah. And uh, it was spent finding my phone, which we did. Thank you, Apple, for the Find My iPhone app. Um, thank you, my Uber driver, Owen. Um, there still are decent people on this planet. Yeah, and he was super nice. Like, he wasn't a jerk about it. Like, he just rolled down the window, and I was... Because I buzzed that phone, I mean, maybe six times, and that ringtone is annoying. It's like, beep, beep, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but he rolled down the window and was like, no problem, happy Thanksgiving, you know? Awesome. You ever say Merry Thanksgiving and just want to fucking kill yourself? <laughs> Did you say it? <laughs> no. <laughs> I thought it this whole trip, though. I was like, don't say it. Don't say it. Happy Thanksgiving. Isn't it funny when you <laughs> say something so much and then you just flub it completely? Just like, instead of saying, like, how how's life or how are you doing? You're just like, how are we doing? It's like, we. <laughs> you just you messed it up. It really and happens. You hope no when one you, notices. Yeah, you hope no one ever noticed. Yeah. Or like a handshake that just gets messed up. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, no, I swear I could do better than that. I think that all the time I fuck up a handshake. I know how to do a handshake, I yeah. swear. No, I'm really good at it. <laughs> it's I I love those little things about life. The things that make you like a human. Mm-hmm. Even like a, a burp or even like a fart where you shouldn't have one. You're like, oh no. Like <laughs> yeah. Every, this happens to everyone. It does. Everyone does these things. <laughs> um, I'm also an Uber driver. And so I was driving and I talk my head off to these people in the Uber. I mean, if they want me to, like I read the room and don't, if I don't feel it. But, you know, I get like a lot of, uh, uh, what's it called? A lot of tourists in Nashville. So people are stoked. They get off the plane and they got their cowboy hats on. They got their boots on. They're already, like, kind of half in the bag. Like, <laughs> I love those customers. Yeah. And every trip is the same. I'm like, where are you from? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was talking to this uh, couple, and they're in the back seat. And I'm doing that thing, like, uh, Jim Carrey does it in Dumb and Dumber. He's driving the limo. Mm-hmm. And he keeps, like, looking in the back <laughs> back mirror. And he's like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, can you just focus on the road? And he turns around. And he's like, Really? Most people say you don't die in the airplane. It's on your way to the airport, you know? (laughs) So, like, I'm like Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber driving (laughs) these people. But so I'm mid-conversation. I'm like, yeah, you know, and (laughs) and I let out this burp. Like, just, like, filled a sentence. And then I continued talking without acknowledging the burp. And I was like, I want to (laughs) die, you know, because they laughed. I blushed. But you're like, I'm never going to see these people again. Never again. That's the best part never about those. Again. You're like, it doesn't matter. Doesn't. You start to realize, like, it seems like the thing that keeps you 
moving forward in life and existing as a human being are having those anxieties and nerves because it Hmm. helps you to learn and propel yourself forward. But the things happen in the past and everyone else is on their own anxiety ridden journey. So like they don't, no one really like cares. You have to do something quite obnoxious or heinous for people to be like, oh, that, and like for them not to to forget that. Yeah. But like a burp, a fart, a flub, uh, mince, uh, like like a, a mishap or mm-hmm. mispronouncing uh, a word, which happens all the time to me and happens to a lot of people. It's like, superfluous. I couldn't <laughs> fucking come up with that word the other day. I was like, superfluous. <laughs> superfluous. <laughs> and my girlfriend wasn't correcting me either, and I was like, I feel like you know this word. <laughs> like, and she was like, I don't. Like, it's not that she didn't, but we just, well, no, she totally knew and was just letting me space and say and, superfluous. And screw up a little yeah. bit. <laughs> I, I appreciate I have a few friends that have a great uh, lexicon of words, mm-hmm. and I always tell them, like I've told them many times, like, like warn me or let me know, like, I won't be offended. Mm-hmm. Don't be a dick about it. But, like, yeah. <laughs> let me know, like, if I said something right or wrong or if I mis- mispronounced it, because I have a lot, I struggle with it. I, I've always been really bad with it, and I'm always trying to work on it. Speaking a lot of people helps, reading a lot helps, listening to other people help. It helps a lot, but it's like, I don't know, it's just the way my brain works. But I understand. Yeah. yeah. It's I'm with you. I'd rather be corrected on like everything. Yeah. I everything. feel like literally everything in this world, I'd rather somebody be like, Hey, this is how you do it, or hey, that's not cool, or hey, what if you tried it this way? Mm-hmm. As opposed to it building up resentment. Yes. And it's like then it all just Bah, attacks, yes, you know, but in a polite way, correct? Yeah, in a nice way. Where like, actually, I think you meant to say this. Mm-hmm. Just letting you know, it's actually that. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, that's helpful. I'll, because I'm kind of embarrassed right now, I'll probably never forget that, and I won't yeah, mess up right? that word ever again. <laughs> Dude, yeah, embarrassment. What a great tool. <sighs> How's Nashville? Nashville's good. Um, it's been really cool working at two coffee shops right now. I do. Oh, cool. Mondays and Tuesdays at this one where I work alone, which is super sick. So Interesting. I, it's beautiful. How's I, that work? I love it. So it's a tiny bar. It's a little like alleyway that they turned into a coffee shop and put walls up around and everything. Um, so I'm there from 5.30 to 11. And we only, I mean, I just do all the drinks. I do like three or four at a time and then just let the rest wait in line. Like there's nothing I can do mm-hmm. if it ever gets built up. Do light food and everything. So it's super chill. What's um, the name of that coffee shop? Headquarters. That sounds familiar. Headquarters Coffee, yeah. What's in? Where's it at? Uh, Charlotte Avenue. It's in West Nashville. Is there a coffee shop near the the Pig Leg or the that barbecue place? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, um, on Broadway. I think so. It's um, not too far from Third Man. There's a well. There it there is a uh, barcade called Headquarters. Mm. So that because there's be one of those in Chicago too. I think two. Yeah, Headquarters. Yeah, they got one of those. Okay. Because yeah. I've, I've, every time I go to Nashville, I, <clears throat> whenever I go anywhere, I stop to buy beans. And I just can't remember the spots I went to in Nashville. And Barista parlor? No. It was by that, the, like the pig leg barbecue and, and, and Thirdman Records. Thirdman Records. Uh, but I don't remember the name, to be honest. Yeah, I can't think of it right now. And you moved there five, six years ago? Seven almost. Seven almost. Yeah, I moved there when I was 18 for college. What college? Uh, I went to Belmont University. Mm. It's a music school in Nashville. How was that? Incredible. I mean, I had, I had an, I, it was an incredible education. I was a songwriting major and music business minor. So my classes were around writing and production and mixing and then uh, some of the business sides of, side of everything. Uh, which I've taken part in kind of the whole gamut of the industry since I was like 15. So being able to go get a degree in this helped 
affirm everything and open all these new doors and show me that I could do it and show. And I mean, the biggest thing I think I learned there was to ask for help from other people. Mm. So like making the best record possible, something I've learned is like, you can't do everything. Mm -hmm. You can imagine everything for sure. You know, you can be like, and then a guitar solo right here will go, wait, it's like, but I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. But somebody can. And that's all they do. Like every single day is practice. For the one time that Mitch calls them and he's like, hey, dude, I need you to go. You know, and then we'll get it going. All right. I'm done. <laughs> um, but so it was a great, great education, super collaborative. Everything was about teamwork and getting the best engineers, the best um, producers, the best writers, you know, super old-fashioned Motown. I mean, Nashville. Nashville's made for that. It's mm-hmm. the, you know, you got your writers, your session players, your producers, your mixing engineers, mastering engineers, um, mastering. <laughs> it's big for that. Yeah. You know, New York, L.A., Chicago, L.A., or uh, Nashville, Atlanta. These are mm-hmm. like uh, Austin, some of the biggest musical hubs in the world. New Orleans. New Orleans. You've been to New Orleans yet? Oh yeah. I've been there three times. Oh I lived there for a little bit. That was beautiful there. My favorite. That I still might go back. I adore New Orleans. That's talk about something to do every minute of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I love it there. And I I don't really care for it for the touristy parts of it, the bourbon street part of it. (laughs) Yeah, that's a shit show. I like the music, (laughs) the jazz, the blues, Mm. the food. Oh my god, the food. Oh dude, yeah. The food and the art, the street artists, the, music, mm-hmm. the, the performers, the, the art galleries. Yeah, it's it's really pretty. And the architecture, the, the history, yeah. it's very unique. Very unique. You feel like you're in a different country. That's exactly what I always feel there. It's, mm-hmm. You are in a different country and you're not in America anymore. Yeah. This isn't Kansas anymore. There's a know? few cities that do that and New Orleans has, has done that for me. New Orleans has done that. Miami kind of does that. Um... Even, like, the big, big cities, you you still feel like you're in America, but you're like, where am I? Like, mm-hmm. when you're in the middle of, like, New York City, yeah, and you're staying there, you're like, what? This is crazy. Yeah. It makes Chicago feel like a little tiny neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, you it's know? cool. I look at Chicago as, like, one borough. It is. You know? Brooklyn is about the same population as Chicago. There you go, and yeah. It's <laughs> so, it's it's very vast and overwhelming, but it's so cool. The, the hustle there, the, the mm-hmm. speed the intensity, the smell, yeah, <laughs> the filth in the streets. It's very yeah. it's very fascinating, that's for sure. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I love that. You're harnessing the energy from every city that you're in, and every city has something different to contribute. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that goes back to even finding the best, like making a record, finding the best players, the best mixing engineers. You know, if you look at these cities like they are musicians, you can squeeze them of exactly what they have. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. I looked to Chicago as jazz. There's so many incredible jazz players here in New Orleans as well. But Mm -hmm. just being from Chicago, I have more connections to jazz musicians here. And so I have like a buddy, Otto, that every time I'm home, I drum with. And like I'm getting something of Chicago from him. Mm. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I get to jam with him and work through songs. And he he has a take that's, you know, his own. It's his own geographical, you know, uh, decision, more or less. You know, and it's... It's really cool. I, I liked that a lot. I worked with um, a few people when I lived in L.A., and they just had a different way of approaching everything, and it made me approach the music in a new light, you know? So every time I've worked with somebody or done something in a different city, there is, like, this noticeable, like, oh, there's something you can grab onto. I mean, every place is equal and has, like, similar resources and everything, um, but 
there's just still something, you know, about the air mm-hmm. that you can, you know, grab a hold of, squeeze, and get something special from. Yeah, that that's exactly why I don't diminish any city in particular. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do. Those and usually they haven't been there. If they have, <laughs> yeah. if they have been there, it might like be New for Orleans. work or something. People always like shit on New Orleans, unless they're like an artist. If they're an artist, anybody who's creative I've met loves New Orleans. Yeah, and anybody who isn't, they're like, ugh. They're like, isn't it dirty? It's dirty. And like, you're every, like, <laughs> every city's dirty. If you allow drinking in the streets, yes, it's going to be yeah. a little dirty. Yeah, but New Orleans is. Drinking in the streets in New York, I don't think is legal. I, I mean, I know it's not. Yeah, it was <laughs> equal or more filthy than New Orleans, to be honest. That is so Because it's true. more populated. Yeah. There's more people. So I'm like, <laughs> it, it, I mean, there's certain parts of Chicago that are filthy. It's like, mm-hmm. it's really the culture and the art and every city, every, every region has something they offer. And the more you work with musicians and creatives, especially through college, you start meeting people from different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. And you realize different you, parts of the earth, the planet exactly. And you could start to have different resources. And, and like you said earlier, you can work with someone from here, send a mix there. You mm-hmm. could. The internet helps a lot with that too. I, I don't understand what people did Prior. pre yeah. where we are now. Like it's so easy to just reach out and get people to do things, ask for something, pay someone to do this. It's it's kind of amazing the resources of Instagram, Facebook. Twitter. I just recently started using TikTok. I have no idea what I'm doing. I just keep seeing how yeah. great it is for for publicity and for growing. And I'm I like, know. I don't understand it. I know. But I guess I'm gonna start using it. I just post the clips I make for Instagram under there. It's I keep it simple. I don't really look at anything. It's too overwhelming and frankly a little annoying for me personally. So I just stay away from it. Same with Twitter. I, I have an account just so I can like lock in the yeah. DZ Records name. But I've never used it once. I don't even... You should give me it. I'll ghost tweet. <laughs> I just don't get Twitter very much. But I, I also don't care to engage with much of the social media world. It's uh, daunting. And it's, it, it, to be honest, for those who, who don't know, it's quite fake. And, uh, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I'm even guilty of it, too. Because it doesn't give you... I don't mean fake like... It's not real at all. I mean, maybe fake's not the right word then. It, it could be slightly... Uh, fabricated. Fabricated, a little disingenuous because it's not going to show you everything. Like, I try to be very, very transparent and honest with my post, but you're still not going to see... Well, when I'm sad I'm yeah. cr- and I'm crying, you're going to see me happy yeah. at an event or at a show or, like, doing stuff that... These things really are happening. I'm not, yeah. I'm not being disingenuous in that, but you're not seeing everything of someone's life. So it could be a little strange sometimes and then when you really get to the thick of it like that uh the influencer world mm-hmm. which like i have a couple people i know that follow influencers and i ask them like what is it about the influencer that you like and they're just like it's so simple and I'm like, oh, i just think they're really beautiful i'm like that's it that's why you're following them like that's what you want to get out of it yes. like anything more than that and they're like i just like their mindset or their attitude I'm like oh my god okay like it's their job. Like they kind of like that actually. But they have like two million followers. So how pure are their like how pure it's are they their being? Mindset, yeah. I, I don't mean, know. If it's just looks, like you're just following for looks. Yeah. That seems like a not the best. It didn't seem longevity well, in that. You're like a yeah. No, there's no longevity yeah. in that unless like people's kinks change to like you know the older. I mean like there's a. What do you call it? A uh, market for everything, Mm -hmm. you know? So beauty, right? We're talking about, like, just people who are beautiful that you follow, and they usually have uh, 
beauty products that they sponsor or they're brought to this event to be, to have a picture taken of them at that event, you know? Um, I mean, it's interesting because in this is, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder is Mm -hmm. my personal belief. So it's, it's interesting because you do, there's, I just talked with somebody and we were talking now, there's a market for everything, even if it's a thousand people, but there's 7 billion people in this world. There's like 3 billion online and like, there's just so many. So when you look at these influencers, it's confusing, but it makes sense how yeah. they could attract so many people, especially with surface things like looks will always yeah. supersede everything. Exactly. It is the first thing you see. Yeah. And then the way someone speaks is it's the first thing you hear. Which is kind of neat. You said the mindset attitude thing, because it's like almost like a uh, self-help coach. Some of these people, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I know like. Uh, my girlfriend loves like a few of them and she just talks about how like great their attitude is. Yes. You know, like the second she opens up a post by them, it's like, wow. Yeah. Something positive. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> I, I, I really do get it. I try always to say something positive. It's like, there's enough negativity. Why not promote things you enjoy and like music? I just give art. sad faces. Sad faces. <laughs> That's like when I'm like being moody, I'll give like a post, you know? That's like my equivalent to like, it's not a cry for help, but it's a, hey, just so you know, we're all crying for help. Yes. That's what this podcast is for. Yeah, this is just one big old cry for help. <laughs> well, like... <laughs> for who? You or me? <laughs> no, like a, like a photo, I'll, I, I will personally try to say something that is promoting an artist, uh, a comedian, an actor, or a musician, a painter. It, it doesn't really matter. Someone doing something that I find to be interesting and creative and productive and, and helps out the world. But if you like really want to hear what the heavy stuff of the world, like just listen to a two, three, four hour podcast and like those things come up. Yeah. You know, the real life things, heartbreak, frustration, failure, you know, all these things come up if you just listen to it. You're not gonna really get that out of a photo or even like a thirty second clip. No, I can't give my medical report. <laughs> you know, I mean I could po- that'd be an interesting post actually. I feel like as funny as that would be to give, like, my full psychological evaluation on Instagram, like, page for page, I feel like it would be used against me one day. <laughs> that would probably be a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have one of those. You have one of those? They're sick, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's something I totally want to talk about, too, on the podcast. Go for it. But um, I'm open to anything. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was something I usually, like, worm my way into because it goes oh, okay. through the music and shit. But, um, yeah, fuck it. We'll just start now. Yeah. A big part of why I wanted to, other than just, I love Ben. Ben's an amazing guy. To talk about Ben's history, he has been throwing shows since you were, what, in... Uh, 20. 20? I'm 31. Yeah. I'll be 32 in a couple weeks, about 12 years. That's so cool. So yeah, he's been throwing shows for all these artists in the suburbs of Chicago and in Chicago, but he, you, I mean, really, like, inspired the whole suburban Chicago scene in my head. Like... You and there's a few other people, but you were the main dude. He was basically taking every one of us, like all these bands that lived like 20 minutes outside the city, putting them in, putting us in his basement and then recording us. At the beginning, it was for free, mm-hmm. which was dope. And uh, <laughs> then he started, you know, doing what he had to do. And yeah, you want better gear. Yeah, quality. Exactly. Yeah. But it's like, this man loves what he does and just is all about it. I mean, he's teaching it. You're filming it. You're throwing shows for it. Even during COVID, he threw DZ Fest in the safest way possible. Yeah. It's like, so, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. You're doing it. I appreciate that. It means a lot because yeah, you were there. 
six and a half years ago when we did that first session, mm-hmm. which has the most views on my channel, by the way. Yeah, like 48,000 views or something. Don't look. How did that happen? I don't know. Um, <laughs> there's really no good reason behind it. And I, I, I think don't understand one, it. And there's like one comment too, and it just says ish. Yeah. And I like don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. And I'm like, I'll take it. How did it get 48,000 views, no comments, and we both don't know what happened? Like, I don't understand. I So the band Love in the Dark came out before the Adele song, Love in the Dark. Uh, so I wonder if Adele's Love in the Dark had to do with it. It's got to be that. That would be my only guess. That is so funny. I was so pissed when that album came out and I saw that as a song title. Because I was like... No one will ever believe me. Like, that was, we had that band yeah. name. You know what I mean? At least it's a song name, not a band name or a record. Yeah, that's true. But that's that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, it's, thank you for everything you said to them. It's, it has been a ridiculous journey. And okay. I mean, it's, I'm, I plan on doing this stuff for the rest of my life. But it's been wild. The opportunities and being able to record around the country and soon around the world, going on location to film bands that I've met that have, are from around the world that have come here and we've created those relationships um doing stuff in the city the events now i'm putting on the fest a winter version at my old high school they asked me to do that which i is, saw that yeah, oh, oh so my interesting God. that's so cool <laughs> it's it's very fascinating because yeah the the juxtaposition of my high school experience and the the way i left their verse now going back to put on an event to help raise money for National Honor Society for students who need scholarships for college. It's very fascinating because, like, I was voted, like, class bum. I have my trophy right around the corner over there. And, like, I wasn't going to go to college. Like the bum now? <laughs> it's just so – it's – I find you it are humorous. busting your ass probably harder than most of the kids you graduated with who are clocking in, and there's nothing wrong with clocking in, <laughs> but I'm just putting it out there. Being a freelancer is one of the hardest fucking jobs in this world. And yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of funny, dude. You're, like, working hard, too, for the last 12 years. Yeah, no, yeah, it's been a wild journey. It'll be, I graduated, it'll be 14 years in May. But, no, I'm, I'm really proud of everything and all the people that have helped and the fact of school and you know, wants me to do that and DZ Fest, it's, they have to be doing 10 here and, you know, trying to trying to grow it and, and bring it elsewhere but keep the same ethos and ideology because it, it can't grow in a backyard when when someone doesn't know about it and yeah. you say like oh um you should come to this music fest and they go cool where is it and you tell them they're like a backyard that instantly diminishes the quality and like the character of it they go like well in their head they're probably like it only could be so good or big but it, it's much yeah, bigger than they don't that. even know the bands yeah. it's all the bands yeah they, like they have no idea about the scope of 40 artists selling artwork 40 bands all the volunteers the attendees the food the coffee the merch the Running whole thing a Behringer X32 yeah. you know what I mean like yeah yeah that was a game changer having just the, the higher quality gear we started getting and no it's been amazing so I'm trying to trying to move that and keep it going but yeah you played in 2016. Love in the so, Dark yeah. played. Yeah. That was the first year we did two stages, two days, yeah. 40, 40 bands. That's right. Yeah. We that were... was a scary undertaking. It was bold. It was. Nobody wanted to do that but me. All my, <laughs> <laughs> all my friends, anyone volunteering were just like two days. Like one day was enough for 40 or for 20 bands, two stages. And I was like, it's the only way to grow is to like double down, right? <laughs> and oh, no, that did not, that was hard. To convince people, but uh, it 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 worked. You gotta you gotta wield things into existence sometimes. Yeah, 
No, I mean, and trial by error too, you yeah. know. And but it worked. Yeah. <laughs> you have two stages oh, now. Like, yeah, it worked, and yeah, hopefully, I want to do four stages elsewhere and just keep growing, do it, something good with it, you know. And it'll be so cool just in the future. I mean, I look at everything as like a book, you know, and like what chapter do you think you're in right now? And the chapters of the work you put into this house, those will be some of the coolest chapters that mm-hmm. people will read, mm-hmm. you know, that they'll get to look back and see pictures and videos of. Like that's that's that cool shit. Yeah. You know, like if you got – if Lollapalooza started in a backyard <laughs> and then like <laughs> next year it's in Grant Park, like – then they released a book about the oh, yeah. making of Lollapalooza and the whole story behind it, you know, mm-hmm. or even a biography behind the man who did it, like, <laughs> which I could totally see you having a biography. You do so much that one day you should start writing the autobiography <laughs> and like let your friends. Like, uh, autobiography is so strange to me because like you're just talking about yourself. Like it's a goofy thing, right? Yeah. At like, least you're not talking in third person. You're like, Ben went to the store. A memoir and autobiography. I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I, I I hope other people would be interested in such a thing, but not. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird to do it about yourself. It's one thing when you like write a song that's from your perspective, but you're not using your name and your like your actual identity. But it's another thing when you're just like, and then I did this, and then I did that. <laughs> it is a wild journey, a wild story. That is for sure. I was like, I bet if you put it on paper though, without like get letting yourself get wrapped up in it, you yeah. know, like you'd be really. Impressed, you'd you'd be happy. You'd read the hell out of that story. You'd be like, and then what? Two stages, forty bands, fuck. <laughs> and then it got rained out, and then we did it anyway. And yeah, oh. I can't put this book down. <laughs> the best part about and then white mystery kicked ass. And then, wait, wait, mystery, yeah. Oh, and then the the funniest thing, which just Tora, always Tora, blows my mind, is uh, Beach Bunny. Beach Bunny, because Beach Bunny is so popular now, like so popular, like. World tours sold out. No shit. I I don't really know Beach Bunny. Hundreds of millions of streams on Spotify. Hundreds of millions of views. Like very popular. And they played here right before that EP came out that blew up. Damn. Which is really interesting. Yeah. And like my students who are between 18 and 23 on average, um, whenever they talk about like, oh, when they like first day of class, you get to know each other and they ask me, like, the biggest man I ever worked with, I always have to go, Beach Bunny? And they all go look at me like every single one of them knows who that is. And they're like, Beach Bunny? You heard Beach Bunny? I'm like, yeah, That's yep. cool. <laughs> it's kind of, it's, but the, you, it, what it does is it humbles me and it helps me understand like this world is small and people are just people. And anybody who's famous or has a lot of popularity or celebrity status was just a person at some point and the right doors opened up, they met the right person, made the right decision, and now the only difference is they have that much more money in their bank account. But like they're still that person they're still you know bob you know and just why people like kanye blow me away why because it's hard to imagine him as like this real life human going about doing human things like well i think he does it himself oh he does you know, <laughs> yeah you know, i mean he's on his own there's trip. a there's a couple eccentric like people that almost make you believe like there's some alien in, and they don't fool me uh, <laughs> They know you don't fool me. They don't, they don't fool me because <laughs> I get it though. Yeah, you just—I mean, I'm. Everyone is—we're just people, and mm-hmm. like I have been fortunate enough to meet, speak with, hang out, and talk with at this point tens and tens of thousands of people, all different types, from all different backgrounds and ethnicities and financial um, situations, means, education, skills just pure geniuses all the way to the hardest working people, the most creative people. 
And I'm like, everyone is just a person. They live, they breathe, they die. Mm-hmm. They want to be loved. They want to have sex with someone they love. Like, <laughs> they want to create something they enjoy. Maybe it's they're not in the arts, but they enjoy and respect it. They have a favorite record they put on. They mm-hmm. have a favorite dish they love to eat that some other genius chef came up with. Like, it doesn't really matter. Creativity, ingenuity, quality, it's amongst us all in some way, shape, or form, and everyone wants it. And they want to appreciate it. And the things that really diminish that could be mental illness, could be um, racism, sexism. Those those things can really get in the way, and it's unfortunate. But at the end of the day, everyone's just a person. So getting nervous, starstruck, those things, I mean, they don't really occur to me anymore because I've when you subject yourself to so much, you're yeah. like, we're just people. Like, it, yeah. it, you know, it, it, there's no need to be afraid or scared or nervous. Like... If you're going to perform on stage, which you've done plenty of times, um, do you get nervous when you do that still? Before. Before. But when I'm on stage, I'm usually pretty chill. Goes and away. having fun, yeah. Yeah. But the moment before, I'm like, oh, I'm going to piss my pants. What, what is going <laughs> through your head the moment before? Um, don't fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's... Luckily, I feel like when I usually get to a gig, it's like when I get to a test. I go, I'm honestly as prepared as I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, for better or for worse. Like, mm-hmm. I've had gigs where I didn't warm up my voice, and I'm like, that's just the gig. Like, you just got to lean into not having a warmed-up voice and having some cracks, you know? And then sometimes I'm, like, hella prepared, and even when I am, I'm like, your computer may turn off, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So I guess I'm always... Uh, I'm probably like a catastrophizer. I'm just always thinking of like what's wrong, what wrong, bleh, what wrongdoing will happen, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I just try to ease my mind and look out to the audience and kind of smile and it sounds corny, but have fun with it because that's like why we're doing it is just to have fun, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, if we didn't need, if we got a, what do you call it, basic income, you know, and we were given $2,000 a month without having to do anything, and we were able to focus on our art and live as we wanted to, I'd, I'd be curious to see what being an artist would look like in that world, you know, but that's not the case. We have to make money off it. So I look out into the audience, and there's this, like, sense of, like, none of the money matters. It just goes straight into, like, oh, this is what I get to do. Yeah. Like, this is my, ah, I'm here. Like, I feel like a little fucking bunny hopping around, like, just, like, mm-hmm. so stoked to go, and then... It's usually after the stuff I'm like, oh, like I got to pay this gas bill. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I only had 20 people come to that show. Like, yeah. and, you know, so I got off on my own thought process on that one. I lost <laughs> Sorry. Do you still perform a lot? Uh, I'm starting to again. I'd been producing and writing for a while and I was in college. So I just kind of performed as I wanted to, you know. Mm-hmm. But I just finished this record that I'm doing releases, uh, single releases right now, and I have the full record coming out in the beginning of December. Um, and so your, I've been your playing record. that. Yeah, yeah, my record. What's the name of it? Hide the Knives. And what is the name you play under? Uh, Mitchell McLaughlin. Okay, your own name, okay. Yeah, yeah, but I go by Mitch in public, but then Mitchell on paper. And so here's why. All right, it's not just like an ego thing. Um, so my grandpa's last name is Mitchell, so it's my mom's maiden name. So I was given my mom's maiden name as my first name. And then my other grandpa, my dad's dad, his last name's McLaughlin. So my dad's dad taught me how to play guitar when I was like 12 and taught me all the first folk songs that I ever learned, like Bob Dylan, Don't Think Twice, It's All Right, Puff the Magic Dragon, um, 
and a few other things and just how to finger pick and how to play. And then so I have all this inspiration from him. And then I have my other grandpa who he passed away when I was 15. But when I was around 11-ish, I started working with him in his yard. Like every single weekend we were over there, even every other day I was going to hang out with him or just do something with my, I called him Poppy. He was this guy, he's got a crazy story. He is one of 21 kids from <laughs> Ireland. God. Yeah, he was born in that 1934. Poor woman. Yeah, Grandma Mitchell. Grandma Mitchell. Strong grandma. What happened? Did she make it? Yeah. How did she? <laughs> she did it. Twi- like, hold on, I gotta, I've never heard of such a 21. number. 21. 21 kids. Yeah, 21 brothers and sisters, all one dad. How many girls and boys? Ooh, I don't know. I, it's decently equal, though. Man. Maybe more boys than girls. Twenty-one, like, about it. none of them died. In like, like on birth, you know, no miscarriage. Well, I don't know if there were any miscarriages, but twenty-one. Yeah, That's all of them were born and fully grown, and you know, wow. yeah. How 21. do you feed twenty-one kids? You, you have a farm. <laughs> they work it. Yeah, you work a farm. You only have like you know four or five at a time, which is still a lot. But it's not like having ten. You know, it's not like she had ten. But what is kind of interesting is they had a giant dresser, and I guess this is just old practice. But you know, I'm a stupid Gen Z, so what do I know? But uh, apparently, uh, they would put the babies in the dresser drawers, so they'd lay them with like cloth, and then like put a baby stagger the kind of like Seinfeld. <laughs> Do they do it in Seinfeld? There's an episode in Seinfeld where he has people staying in drawers in his house. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, Kramer does. Anyway, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that's really, that's child abuse. No, that's. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like you say that online. I'm like, <laughs> no, I mean, that. But we, it was just old world, yeah. Ireland. I mean, this house, my, my grandparents had 11 kids in this house. Oh, no way. Yeah, so the rooms, it'd be. There's one of the rooms at one point, it was like five boys staying in it. It's like, that's probably a form of child abuse. Yeah, that's but a like, lot. <laughs> it's 1960 and you don't have any money. And what do you it is do? What it is. This was farmland out back then. Yeah, not to mention, it's not like birth control existed. So it's not like Grandma well, Mitchell. So it did. I don't think it was very good or safe yet. Really? In the yeah. like, 1930s? Not in the 30s for for your situation that my you're talking grandpa, about, but yeah. my, the, my uncles and aunts in the 50s and 60s. It did exist, but I don't think it was quite as good and or safe as it is now. I think they were doing a lot of trial runs in the 50s. I remember watching oh, a— That must um, have been a terrible— It was bad. They gave it to a lot of women in uh, oh. Central America and, like, Cuba and Puerto Rico, and there was a lot of messed up cancers and birth defects before they— No, it's not— That's sad because— How yeah. we got to now, it's because of a very destructive and, and very dark— past Interesting. even cars how safe a car is now because yeah. i mean shit we're watching it with the tesla cars trying to self-drive yeah you know what i mean yeah we're people, people are deaths. going to die for the tesla self-driving to get better seatbelts are airbag seatbelts and the shape of a car and the way it compresses and, and the actual mechanisms within it are because of millions and millions of deaths like it just even surgeries, medical procedures like open heart surgery used to be catastrophic and you barely survived it if you did now, I wouldn't say it's routine, but it's very – people survive all the time now with very little issues. Yeah. You know, the, I had a major surgery as a kid, and if I went back in time just five years, I probably would not have had it. probably would have died or not made it. So it's just like the right place in existence, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's quite fascinating how many kids used to be born, old families, 5, mm-hmm. 6, 10, 15, 20, and now it's like 
what's the math? It's something goofy, like 1.7 or 2.1 or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> My and, kid's a foot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, I, I'm at that age where people start having kids and talking about it. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I, I think I got like a decade. No. <laughs> I want to be one of those old dads that's wise. You know, I want to be like 60. My kids graduate in high school and be like, Tell them what's really up. <laughs> but it, I want to stay, like, healthy and fit so I can really – I want to live to, like, 150, thing. you know? Dude, yes. All right. This, <laughs> you're my guy. I want to live – this is going to be, like, Twitch. I'm going to be, like, yelling, and it's going to be, like, clipping. I'm going to be like, oh! Oh, it clipped already <laughs> when you did that. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, so I had this thing when I was, like, 18. I don't know who I was talking to. No, my buddy Kevin. And we got on the topic of, like, living for a long time. And I was like, what's the year 2100? Like, how old are we going to be? 2100, and I'm going to be 103 years old. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck yeah. I'm going to live till, a hun- till I'm 103 years old in a strong 103, not like a hospital bed like for the last five years just so I can wave a little American flag and teeter off at the <laughs> at midnight on January 1st. But <laughs> Is that how you imagine it going American flag? <laughs> yeah. Woo! Um, but I think 103 years old, Gonna do it, and I think you can do it too. 150 is doable. Yeah, I think I probably needed a lot more money to live to 150. Maybe I feel like a ton of people. <laughs> I, I think I think you might, but no, t- you're right. Money equals longevity, uh, a sauna, organic food, stem cell, hormone replacement therapy, the right surgeries, the right procedures, the right dietitian to hire, the right the right trainer. Uh, physical trainer, the right doctors, right medical procedures. Like I have, yeah, you're very right. <laughs> it does oh yeah, take a lot of money. it takes a lot of money. Um, yo, there's definitely a correlation with with poverty and early death, like 100. Yeah, percent absolutely. I've seen it time and time again. I experience it all the time. I have a friend who doesn't have insurance. They can't go. They have a health issue. They can't do anything about it. Yeah, that's that, not good for long. When you don't take care of the health issues now, they have long lasting effects. You know. And this goes even to just talking about Medicare and how incredible it could be if people, I mean, you know, now it gets political, but how I have now friends, because I'm 24 and I'm having friends who are 25, 26. Who You're are, only 24? Yeah. <laughs> um, when do you turn 25? Uh, April 1st. You're a little kid. I, yeah, I'm a baby. Your brain hasn't even fully developed? fully developed. Wow, look at that. Still a little ball of mush up there. <laughs> just <laughs> as I talk. I'm an old man. I'm going to be 32 in three weeks. It's not that old. Less than three weeks. Well, the older I get, the less I think an older age is old. It's not that old, but it's weird. It pro- Yeah. I mean, it was weird turning 24. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it was still like a... God, 24. Anyway, go back to it. Um, no, that's all right. Uh, what is it? Oh, fuck. What was I saying? 24. Friends. What did I health say? insurance. Health insurance. Yeah. I'm starting to have more friends who are off their parents' plan and, you know, they 26. just can't afford it. Yeah, 26. And it, like, amazes me. I mean, I'm doing my best to work minimum wage jobs so I can get some savings up so when that year does come, you know what I mean? I can mm-hmm. start actually, like, affording it and shit. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing how many people I talk to that they don't have it. And I had a coworker who is bipolar, and I was, like, I was in awe that she could do it without medication. You know what I mean? I mean... Uh, I was diagnosed bipolar a couple of years ago, and if I didn't have my medication, I'd literally be seeing God. <laughs> like, like dead or like seeing God, like in re- this like reality? in real life. Really? Yeah. So there's a period when I turned 18, and this is like drug free, by the way. I always have to like clarify that, just because the way I look, it's easy to assume. But uh, like so, like sober. Yeah, sober. So this is just like sober, Mitch. Like, 
what was happening. Um, I was getting – so since I was a kid, I was super interested in God, and I didn't have a very religious family by any means, so it was not like a thing that was, you know, a, you know, an insane topic at the dinner table. I was raised Catholic, and I was confirmed, you know, so I got all the Catholic guilt, but, you know. <laughs> but uh, it wasn't ever pressed on me, but for some reason it was so important to me and in my head – as like a little kid and I like feared it so much and I cried about God and shit and I had like no reason to. So fast forward, I'm like 18 and I like start getting super interested, which is like about that age. Like people do, you know what I mean? You're finally like, well, you're in college and you take a philosophy class and life opens up a little more. But if it started to become like an obsession, I would hear songs that I thought were being specifically played for me. I would watch leaves roll in front of me and I'd think that a spirit was trying to communicate something to me and then I'd read in between the lines and try and figure out what it meant. I feel like people were not possessed, but like God was passing through them and they were trying to tell me something. So when they were telling me something, I was trying to really see what they really read what they were saying. Um, so it got very tricky and I was undiagnosed my whole life. Uh, so it got to a point where, and I had been, battling depression since I was like 13 and did that in silence too. Uh, and I'd always been a pretty manic kid, just like always been up here uh, and then down here. So it was something that I was like 21. I had just gotten back from uh, spending like six months in LA. I went out there for school and then stayed there for the summer and then came back. And it was just such a clusterfuck of emotions. I was going into my senior year, so there was that drama that was happening. I was still having the God things happening. Like, I was, like, battling depression so heavily that I just, like, didn't know what to do. You know what I mean? Like, I was so at the end of my rope, at the fucking end of it all. And so I had been seeing a therapist years prior, you know, since I was, like, 18. I did on and off when I was 13 for other things, but when I was 18, I started going for depression. Um, but I never really brought up like the God stuff and like, I kind of kept some stuff to myself when I was in therapy. So one day then I finally just crack and I go to like the therapist and I just, I like lay it all out and he's like, you should probably go get tested for bipolar disorder because I have it in my family as well. And so I took myself to the hospital. Um, I don't have any family in Nashville, so it was just kind of me. I just went to the hospital myself just checked myself in and did the whole psych evaluation, went back, started medication. You know, I take Lamotrigin, Abilify, and Pristique now. And so they all cover between mood, stabili mood stabilizers to antidepressants. And, um, yeah, I mean, if it weren't for medication and therapy, it'd be extremely difficult for me to live. Just it'd be – I'd be in constant peril. I would be – Losing, because I, I lost so many friends just out of my attitude, and you know you can't blame all of it on a mental illness. Sometimes you just suck as a person. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of things where it was just pure, like wasn't all there, and I reacted poorly, or I was freaking my friends out. You know, which is totally respectable. I mean, you need to like distance yourself from people who aren't good for you. Mm -hmm. And I just wasn't good for people, and I wasn't good for myself. So I did did what I had to do, and. Just once I got diagnosed and once I talked through it with the therapist more and started taking the medication, it all made more sense. And it actually helped alleviate a lot of my symptoms just by knowing. I mean, definitely from the medication, but 
having awareness mm-hmm. as opposed to why is this happening? Why is this happening? And, you know, some people are diagnosed with depression, you know, and some people are diagnosed with anxiety and it's very clear cut things, but I was always all over the board. That was hard for me to call. It was hard for me to call myself depressed because I'd be like, but I'm such a happy person. And that's the, kind of the bipolar yeah. part of it. And you're like, no, like you are, but there's something else kicking in there. Like I call it like, it's like out of nowhere, a hamster in my head will start like sprinting and I can feel it running and my thoughts go a mile a minute. And this is like without coffee, without any substance, just, just completely like completely sober. Boom, 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 boom. You know, and then like two minutes later, I'm like, well, it'd be a good time to die right now. <laughs> like, it's just. It's extreme. Yeah, it's a daily battle, and but it's gotten so much easier because of medication and therapy. So all of that to say, um, if you don't have health insurance, if you can't afford it, if your government doesn't offer an affordable plan, you're putting people like me <laughs> into society where I would be, so if I was undiagnosed, then I would be, you'd have a barista talking to God uh, who is extremely depressed and manic. If you were even able to get that job. If I were able to get the job and mm-hmm. hold it, which I had lost jobs because mm-hmm. I was fucking up because I was so like mm-hmm. temperamental and it's just because I'm an Aries. But um, <laughs> how, how do you feel about astrology? I like astrology. I really do. I really like astrology. I know nothing about it. It's cool. I only know the shit about myself and my <laughs> girlfriend, but it's okay. Like, and I know for some reason there's been a lot of Gemini, a lot of Gemini's in my life. So I, I do what find is it, it. What, what, what time window of the year is Gemini? Gemini is May, like mid-May to mid-June. Hmm. When's your birthday? December 14th. I don't know. See, I don't know it well enough to be like, oh, you're this. I'm a Stratocaster. S- Stratocaster? Stradivarius. Dope. <laughs> I'm a violin or a guitar. I am a Sagittarius. Oh, But I know Irish. nothing about that. I know nothing about astrology. I don't. It's neat. I like it. I like the affirmations, like reading my horoscope. It makes me feel good about myself. And here's why I do defend astrology. So defend astrology. Here we go. So I have a CoStar, which is like an app that people use for astrology. It's like a super common one right now. Um, And I read my horoscope every day, and I have made life decisions based off my horoscope. Simple shit. Simple stuff where it'll be like, like, I don't even know how it'll phrase it. It'll be like, look within and see the face you are not seeing. And I'd be like, I need to call my dad. <laughs> and it's like the smartest move I do or I make. Like, I take something in, like an affirmation, and I, like, process it. And then, like, a natural response came out, and my relationship's better with my dad because of my horoscope. I mean, yeah, like, if that works. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's, like, that how works. it works for me. Is if like, that works for I, like, you and it yeah. positive things come out of it. Then I see no harm. I think it's fine. Yeah. I, I personally have no idea anything about it. Mm-hmm. I've never even, like, I never met someone that knew enough about the whole thing, about all 13 signs now. I think it's 13. That's the thing that confused me. They added one. I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> but, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely open to understanding and learning more about it. Mm-hmm. What bothers me is when people, only like live their life based on it. Like they won't hang out or date someone based on a certain thing. Like, oh yeah, you can't do that. I'm like, what are you talking about? You can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that. We're so not black and white. No, like anything I've ever read about it, I'm like, yeah, I could see why someone would think that. I also could see why someone wouldn't think. It. It's like you could get whatever you want out of it. I've mm-hmm. met so many different types of people 
from the same birth. Like I know people who are the same sign as me. They're so different. We couldn't be more different mm-hmm. in every way. I'm like, I don't know what's going on with this. I mean, I'd say the upbringing, ethnicity, financial background, education, influence, trauma, abuse, lack of abuse, how many siblings, cousins, uh, what school they went to, what diet they had, uh, I think what TV show they watched, I think all that is actually way more of an effect. Influential than the stars. I think that stars and the moon, they are gravitational forces, and I think that they have an effect. I think everything does, but I don't think it's a, it's as much as the actual human-to-human contact and uh, gene genes that are being passed down. I think that's way more of an impact. I think the other stuff has it. I just think don't think it's as, as much enough to like sway you to be like, oh, it must be because I'm a Gemini or I'm a I'm a Pisces. Um, yeah, I don't know, and I don't know where this obsession came from recently because it wasn't such a big thing just a decade ago. Hmm. Like when I was your age, nobody was talking about this. Nobody. I I didn't even hear about astrology really, like out in the open, like it is normalized now. Until I think social media getting more popular. To be honest. It was not that popular when I was your age. Hmm. I'll have to think about that because you're right. I mean, yeah, I got to think about that. Like, like, think about when that... you were in high school, like a freshman or sophomore, like 10 years ago. Were people it, really talking about it all the time and it making wasn't, it like a big deal? But it was a friend group thing for me. But I feel like, you know what it is? I wonder if the indie kids are becoming the popular kids now and the jocks are not as popular. <laughs> so the jocks weren't as – and this is so clustering people into like little clusters, but whatever. <laughs> Um, I don't mean it in any bad way. I don't know what is more popular now because I'm not in high school. I would say the indie kids are cooler now. The indie kids are cooler now? Coming from an indie kid. I just feel like they are. I just, because they run social media. You know what I mean? Like they're always on the, like social media is always about being cutting edge and the cutting edge kids are the, you know. Or maybe that's just what we see because the algorithm. Definitely. Well, whatever it is, chicken or the egg, that's just (laughs) what it is. (laughs) I have no idea. I'm too far removed and old. Like. I am almost a whole an adult's life older than a freshman in high school, like eighteen years. So I'm like, I don't know. I can't even pretend to know what those kids are. It's probably PlayStation Five and TikTok and YouTube and some goofy game they watch for fun. Like people, kids watch kids play games for fun. Oh yeah. I when I found that out, I was like, I don't. That is the weirdest, <laughs> like inception, like loophole ever. Just like. In what defense, is going on in this wormhole? I used to watch people unbox things. Okay, see, that's another thing. I'm like, I don't understand that I either. used to watch people... Well, tell me the, the psychology behind watching someone unbox. Like, why is that happening, and why are you into it? It's like Christmas, like, without having the present yourself. Like, you watch somebody, like, get this fresh package, and they have to unwrap it. Also, there's... So an it's a- like pornography. There's an ASMR element, yeah. There's an ASMR element where it's like... Of the wrapping, you know, and then the box like... Blows my mind. And then the, like, because I used to watch unboxings of phones. And uh, they take the, <laughs> they take the sticker off the screen and be like, kids these days. Like, what the fuck was I doing? You I don't, know? I don't understand any of it. But I, I wanted Guitar Hero 3 for Christmas so bad. So I just kept rewatching the same unboxing video. That's kind of like dark, actually. <laughs> is that <laughs> like you wanted something so bad so instead you would just watch the unboxing of it but well, you never I, actually got it I, no I did I did <laughs> okay. it was just leading up to Christmas I was like oh Guitar Hero 3 is so bad and then I like would go on YouTube and be like okay so the white guitar comes in there I have the Nintendo Switch so the Switch the controller goes in there why not just like the first time you get like wow I gotta figure this all, this all out in the moment 
I don't know. That's like a kid thing. You know what God, I mean? Kids are weird. Kids are weird, dude. Goofy. I, I don't. I don't kids. get it. I love kids so much. They're so funny. What age group you enjoy? Well, right now my girlfriend has a three year old. So. Oh wow. Yeah. So I've been playing like three three year old. They call them three nagers. <laughs> oh wow. So they're at this age where they can talk and like have like full conversations with you, but they're also like testing their limits and kind mm-hmm. of being like challenging because at two like they're not capable as much of being a challenge without just being like difficult and shitting their pants and you're like yeah kid now like she has control over it she can go to the bathroom you know and if Mm -hmm. she doesn't that's like more on her you're like yo you know you could just go to the bathroom (laughs) so like that's like the age group they're at but they're so fun she's so fun her name is her little name is sawyer and um beautiful name it's a cool city in michigan isn't that is it yeah the 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 band I'm in, we uh we we've filmed on that beach there in Sawyer. It's cool. It's oh, nice, tight. It's a nice area. Yeah. That's cool. Anyway, that's um, a cool name. Yeah, Sawyer, right? Mm-hmm. And so and uh, my girlfriend's name is Sheldon. Uh, and so Sheldon named Sawyer Sawyer, and Sawyer is this amazing curly headed, little smiley girl that loves just life in general. Mm-hmm. It's so funny watching her wake up. I mean, she's like excited to peel her eyes open and like get out of the bed and go and then she doesn't want to go to bed just because she wants to keep living like you just it's so fun watching a kid experience life for the first time and you just stand by and you just like feed them things like you're like what about this do you like this mm-hmm. what do you think about this and they're like yeah I don't like that <laughs> like they just have the funniest most blunt reactions to things mm-hmm. yeah she's so sweet so I love kids um, three year olds right now little Little three-year-old Sawyer is so sweet. Do you want to have kids? Definitely. One day. Not now, but... Does it ever make you feel, like, um, like worried about your own mental health with a kid? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm thankful that I have a handle on it as an adult. Or, I mean, as, like, a young adult mm-hmm. and not, like, later in my life I got diagnosed, you know, like, too late. I saw the signs way ahead of it. And also because of our culture. We were, like... At the time, like, we just have been more, like, open about mental illness and what are the uh, signs of it. And to be honest, I got diagnosed partially because Kanye came out as bipolar. Mm. Since I was a kid, I loved Kanye. Like, I was a huge, like, just his music, was so into his music. His music. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, loved College Dropout, loved Dark Twisted Fantasy. But... uh he started doing all the crazy shit and I was like just watching it and when he came out as bipolar and I was just reading all the symptoms and all the shit that he was going through and I'm laughing and I'm like like Mitch you're talking to God like this isn't normal like this isn't healthy because I was like trying to pawn it off as I was just being philosophical and I was thinking about life's questions but like when I was feeling like I was getting communicated with you know like something was actually reaching out it felt wrong Mm -hmm. it just felt weird like in the moment, it doesn't, but then, like, later that night, you start thinking back on it, and you're like, what was that exactly? You know, like, why did I So, that? based on what you just said, <clears throat> would you, could you think or come to a conclusion that maybe some, on the spectrum of cult, leaders all the way to a religious leader, like a reverend or a pastor or a priest, could be bipolar, and thinking that they're talking to God? Yes. A hundred percent. I think that about... And going unchecked because they get to hide under the guise of, like, I'm just speaking with the Lord. Yeah, 100%. I thought, I mean, I thought that about, you got people like even the greats. You got uh, Socrates, right? Socrates had this whole thing called the unmovable mover. And it was just describing the image of God without too much spirituality, even though it had tons. And somebody's going to 
some Aristotelian professor is going to kill me over this, but <laughs> they heard it. <laughs> it's just interesting. You hear this guy talking about the unmovable mover. Okay, let's just put that on a surface table. And if I like started being like, oh yeah, so the unmovable mover, and I like went into this whole description of God, you'd get a little freaked out after a while, be uncomfortable. I wonder. I wonder if a lot of like a lot of our greats have been extremely mentally ill, schizophrenic. Uh, what Nostradamus or whatever, like he was super schizophrenic. He saw the future. Did he? I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. I think we've learned you can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's and that's stuff went unchecked. And if you normalize it, if you maybe even come from means where you can financially keep your life together, but you still think that way, like who would think anything of it? They're just going to think you're some, you know, charismatic, wild thinker. It's hard to know for Which sure. Which is the issue with Kanye right now, right? Because mm-hmm. he's not taking, he's open about not taking his medication. I mean, I have like a total like fight in my brain over the dude because I really admire him on like a musical level, you know, on a creative level. I so admire his work, but, um, you know, it's hard to get with him these days personally. It's just not my bag mm-hmm. that he's into, you know what I mean? But I respect him the hell out of him as a businessman, as a creator, um, but yeah, he's gone unchecked. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I, it's kind of neat. I actually do like what he's doing with the Sunday service choir. I think it's really neat. It's a cool idea because not that I feel like God needs to be put back into our world by any means. I just, I don't mind the idea of people like representing God in a new light. You know what I mean? Because there are bigger questions of this world, whether or not there is a creator, you mm-hmm. know, or it's all ones and zeros. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, doesn't matter what it is. It's just the idea that it's an uncertain question and people have some viewpoints on how to attack that question and they can move along in life together with an understanding. So it's like I knock religion for sure. I'll be like, oh, it's so easy just to fall into it and just surrender yourself to it and then at, and then never have to question what you do because you're under the guise of God. And as long as you go to confession, which is just a Catholic thing, then you're good. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the idea of having a group of people being like, we're not sure what this is, but we all kind of believe it's this. I don't, is it very, is it very uh, like Protestant Christian based, the, the Sunday service thing? Sunday does? service? I don't know anything about it. Uh, I don't know what variation of Christianity, but it's, I just look at it like it's Jesus and God, the Christian view of Jesus and God, mm. but I don't know what denomination specifically. Got it. Got it. Um, I have a hard time with that stuff. To me, it just means two things. This is, this is my opinion. People. Hit me. Uh, first off, to me, it just means you're trying to spread and double down on your, um, your income because now you can appeal to secular people and Christian people, which is a ton of people in America. And if you really are Christian-like and you really believe in God and Jesus, then you would not be worth a billion dollars. You would give that money away. You would help people. You'd have charities. You wouldn't live that way. That is so unlike Jesus. It's not even funny. So I have a hard time believing when people are very wealthy yeah, and they're very Christian or they actually believe it. I believe it's a farce to spread their popularity across more people to, again, to broaden the listeners that they have. It's like, oh, yeah, I do, I, I do Christian stuff and I do this. It's like, if your lyrics are going to be about anything other than actual, like, human-to-human interaction and being more towards edifying the Lord and doing things for Jesus or God, 
um, or salvation or forgiveness, then you're you're dancing. You're it's hard. To, I'm trying to think of the right words. You're kind of like you're being. You're definitely be, being disingenuous to both people, to your secular crowd and to the religious crowd, and you're not actually living in the way of like the Protestant or Catholic church. And that's fine, but like, don't kid anybody. Like, cause I'm not religious. Like I don't really care. Like yeah. do whatever you want. But if you're going to do a Sunday service and be a Christian, then you shouldn't be selling thousand dollar shoes. And instead you should be like giving to charity and helping out kids and doing things for the community way more. You should not have a billion dollars to your name. And even when I see reverends or, or priests that have a lot of money, I to that yeah, I'd say the same Joel thing. Joel Olstein. Yeah, no, yeah. N- it's ridiculous. It's totally not at all what the whole thing's about. No way. <laughs> no way. Do you see uh, Royal Gemstones ever? It's a TV show with Danny McBride on uh, on HBO. Yeah, I've heard of it with do. John Goodman. Yeah, I've really heard good, of it, but same. I mean, it's this story. Yeah, it's exactly what you're explaining. It's just billionaire Christians are not. Yeah. Very good. I mean, they're they're probably just like everybody else, but they're a little more evil. <laughs> they're, the, they're the worst because <laughs> they're using God as like a pivoting point. It's, for it's the, the yeah. worst. Any if you leverage. are a billionaire, you're exploiting. If you have a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money, like maybe you started your own business and you have a handful of employees and you just do really well and you make a couple million dollars a year. I don't know. There's a turning point where you're starting to exploit people because if you're able to make that much money, I mean, someone else is making way too little, way too little. And you're taking advantage of people based on that. So I don't really agree with it. I would never want to make that much money. And I'll die on that hill. If I ever come close to it, I'll just give it away. I'll donate it. So That's cool. I mean, yeah, the billion-dollar dream is outrageous. That, like, because, you know, nothing wrong with money. But a billion dollars, that's a hell of a journey to get to that. You know, that's old money or it's like you're saying you're like... Even if you came up with an idea and you sold it to Microsoft or Apple or Google and they yeah. gave you, you know, a startup, it, usually they're rare that they're that much. That was that was more of the dot-com era that doesn't happen as much anymore where people acquire something for a billion dollars and they make all that money. But even if it's 50 million, like you don't need that much money to live. Mm-hmm. You could do something good with it. You could start organizations and non-for-profit, you know. Well, and this is a great conversation because I think right now money is a scary topic for a lot of people because we do want to eat the rich, and I understand that. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I get it. It's exactly what we're talking about. And not to mention, as a minimum wage worker, yeah, I'm pissed when people are making millions of dollars and I'm making 10 an hour. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm yeah. busting my ass, like, just like everybody else. Yeah. And I have to work for tips. Like, tips should be an additional thing. They shouldn't be factored into my wage. Mm-hmm. And I'm not calling out my manager. <laughs> this is every manager. This is not just you. Um, which I have like four managers, so that just addressed four people. <laughs> I'm sorry, all of you. It's not about you. Um, oh, shit, where was I going with that? But, oh, yeah, so money, it's an interesting concept because it's just, there's only so much, right, that's printed. Okay? Printed. So it's a constant flow, and it's just up to those who actually have it and what they do with it. So you could have – it's like there's two people, a good person and a bad person, and there's $50 million, and it's like who would you rather it go to? And so if you deem yourself – which everyone probably deems themselves a good person. Nobody's like, I'm an evil person, <laughs> and I do evil things with my evil money. Like probably very rarely are those people existing, but but yeah. I guess – from this conversation, like, the takeaway that you and I could have is as we get older and as we move forward, like, when we do acquire more money and if we ever come into, like, a 
good amount of money, we use it for good. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a funnel. You then immediately start funneling it back to somewhere else because it's just a giant stream. Mm -hmm. And if you could put that stream to a great, like an even greater cause than yourself or your family, it's going to continue and it's going to just like create, you know, Mm -hmm. it's going to double, it's going to triple, it's going to keep going and to more and more organizations to save more and more people too. So money itself is not evil. It's what you do with it. And I want that to be super clear because I don't want people to be afraid of making money. (laughs) No, I mean, you you need to have, you need, you need to have that. We need to have a way of organizing the civilization. Mm -hmm. And it's a hybrid of a democracy, republic, socialist, capitalist, Society. It's a little bit of a lot of good ideas and a little bit of a lot of bad ideas. You have to have a little bit of the balance of all of it. It's not really just one. And, you know, hearing about the research done that claims, you know, your happiness threshold is around, in America in 2021, around $70,000 a year. You know, it doesn't really get much. You don't get that much happier after that. Maybe a little bit less stress in certain areas because you might have enough money to pay for a lot more stuff. But... Just adding jobs. 70 million, 700 million, 7 billion. You don't, nobody needs that much money. And I mean, I, just to make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, you'd be so well off. You'd be so taken care of. I just, it baffles me when you get above that. And yeah, I, I hope, I hope one day I can make that much money so I can actually do something with it and set the example of what can be done with a lot of money. I mean, and I, you know, something I do have to defend Kanye about is what he is spending his money on are certain things. So he's making uh, hurricane-proof shelters in Haiti. Oh, okay. And so, and so it's stuff like that that he just kind of goes under the radar. So he has put – and that probably takes a lot of money. Why in would that be, sir? That should be something that – Oh, it should be. But, I mean, I think – oh, boy. He's such a tricky character to talk about. Um, I think that that probably certain – forces don't want him to be looked at as good. Oh, okay. And so it's easier to kind of keep certain things under the rug. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And which again, I do not agree with everything he's been doing. So I'm not in, you know, support of boosting him on everything he does or says by any means. But he is making, you know, hurricane proof shelters in Haiti. So that, and that takes probably a shitload of money. Yeah. To research and to build and to test and everything. So it's like if you have enough money, you can do something good with it, something huge, something great. It just depends on your vision, you know? And doing it without the recognition, without your name being on a plaque somewhere. Yes. Just Akon. Akon's helping so many people right now in Africa, and we have no idea about it. I didn't know that, yeah. Exactly. It's it just like... Be, people should do things anonymous if they really care. It's cool. You know, or at least if you want to get the recognition... It should be for a good cause, an organization, a non-for-profit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's very tricky. Ben Affleck. Uh, ben, ben Affleck does a ton of uh, charity work, and he invites all these celebrities and does, like, a big auction every year, and it's, like, a million-dollar auction, you know what I mean, where people mm-hmm. are, like, bidding on a night with Ben, <laughs> you know, and shit like that. There's this story that David Spade was trying to impress a girl at a table, and so he bid a million dollars on something. And he's like, nah, I have money but I don't have that money. And he's like, I had to go up. I had to go up afterwards and tell the person that I couldn't afford it and that they had to take my name off the bid. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> so I just love the idea of di- which is a sad. I don't know. The thing us it's men, a lot of money. Uh, things us men do for to impress someone. Yeah, literally was to impress a girl. He's like, I've definitely spent million. money I probably shouldn't have. It's like it's not even that much. You're just 100%. like, percent. You're like, why did I spend that hundred bucks on that thing? Yeah, why did I do <laughs> I should that? Should not have done that. <laughs> it yeah, happens. Dude, I was in love. Can't help it. Just Can't help it. One of the times that I was in love for a week, I spent so <laughs> like you ever just do that? You ever fall in love for a week and blow your a week? whole no. savings? No. I, I've never done that. Just blow your savings in a week? You don't do that? No. Shit, dude, that's June. <laughs> that just happened last week. Yeah, really? No. No, I've never been in love for just a week, no. Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. No, if, if I'm in love, it's for real. It takes it takes that effort, that time. That's good. But, I mean, how old were you? <laughs> like... 24. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say like 15. No, dude, this happened like a couple months ago. <laughs> I blew so much money in like a week. In a week. Uh, that was good. <laughs> I spent a lot of money in a week once, but um, it's usually surrounding a vacation, you know, because I don't ever go on them. Yeah. I have a bad idea of what a, vac- a vacation is. It's usually camping and sleeping on someone's couch dude same though i was like trying to <laughs> we were trying to my girlfriend and i were trying to plan a trip and i was like looking at b&b's i'm like i can't fucking afford a and b in la you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i was like why don't we just camp and she was like down with it like totally but you know it's just that idea is foreign to people if you're like yeah we're gonna go over to la and camp it's mm-hmm. like really why and i'm like because i can't fucking afford a b&b there yeah. dude but it's awesome how dope would it be to camp on the beach you know yeah no i i camp <clears throat> when I vacation, it's a road trip with camping and a couch. Oh, yeah. It's very inexpensive. Mm-hmm. And I always end up doing some form of work. Yeah, dishes. No, like, oh, like filming. Band. Like, <laughs> but it's like, I don't know, it's, it's friends, it's pleasure, it's business, it's a little of everything, but it's not, I don't, I've never had the, uh, like, let's just sit on a beach somewhere or an all-inclusive thing or go to Europe and, like, just chill. Like, yeah. I've never done any of that stuff. You know what's kind of, I think would be funny to do, um, would be a cruise ship, because they're like super inexpensive tickets. I've never been on one. Neither have I. I, I don't know if I ever will, but never. <laughs> do you like boats? I like small boats. Yeah, not big boats. I've never been on a big boat. I, uh, yeah, I, have I? been on a ferry in Portland, Maine. It's about as big as I've gotten with a boat. I've grown up on ski boats and pontoon boats, so. Gotcha. Very familiar with that, but... The cruise ship thing seems fun in theory, but then I think about it, I'm like, would I really enjoy that? Like, No, I think it'd I be think super hokey. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. Like, I'm like, I don't know if I'd actually enjoy that. But that's kind of why I think it'd be funny to do it is because it'd be, you almost do it ironically and you find like some fun inside of that. Like, <laughs> That's probably the best. Because like, it's take like. Take a bunch of edibles and enjoy it that way. That's probably what I would have to do. Because <laughs> it's like two fifty for a ticket. Like two fifty or something. See, there's a reason why. Yeah, there is a reason why. <laughs> I'm sure the food is terrible. I even oh, dude, yeah, but that doctor gets so much work on the cruise ship. He's like, oh, you got food poisoning, huh? Remember that COVID fiasco where like oh my like god, an yeah. outbreak and they had to keep the ship oh. off. Oh, see, that's what I'm, uh, I don't. So I, when I graduated college, I looked at going on a cruise ship and being a cruise ship musician. Mm. Like, not seriously, was I going to do it? I kind of applied as a joke just to see, mm-hmm. let's see what happens. So I, you know. Post the "Don't Look Love in the Dark" video and send that through, and then um and I got bids for it and shit. But I was just like, I I mentally can't handle six. What months was the pay for six months? Three month, three grand a month, full room and board for six months, and free food. Free food, 
now you're subjected to their food. So it's not like you can go get groceries and be like, oh, I just want to cook. Yes, yeah. you know. You're stuck with that crap food for six. That's too much. Yeah, six that's months, three months. No thanks. No way. Not no worth way. It. But if I did it, dude, I would have been caught on COVID. <laughs> I'm sure there would have been an interesting experience at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would have been if a good If I was single and like 22 out of college, I'd probably try it for like a month just to have the experience. That's what I wanted. I wanted but... just a little taste, but they were like so serious. I mean, it was like contracts, like six-month contracts and shit. Like, you probably see some interesting people. Like yeah. People watching for sure. That's where I met. I lived on this commune in L.A. for a couple months, and a couple of the people that worked there lived on. What's that like? Awesome. All right. <laughs> commune so, in L.A. So I was I was a fresh 21-year-old. Awesome time to be in L.A. Uh, and I went there for school for three months. We did this, like, program at Belmont where a group of students would go to L.A., a group of students would go to New York, and then you'd work on, like, you'd have internships and do online classes and shit there. And just work the industry in that city, basically, get to know it. And so I did that for three months. I worked at this publishing company and just wanted to blow my brains out. That was such a bad job. Like, it was just so boring. And then also it got to the point where I was, like, putting out this one record that I was super excited about, and I was, like, pushing it to them too. And I, like, cringe thinking back on, like, me messaging, like, the girl, like, hey, here's my new single, like, send it to the staff if they like it. Like, let me know, you know what I mean? And she was like, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So it was just like an awkward, like, boring job where I'd, like, do nothing and then I'd get, like, all inspired and I'd be, like, sending, like, labels, my music and shit, and then I'd be like, okay, it's time. This is the day. Caitlin's going to listen. Nothing. (laughs) Yeah, that'll happen. So I finish up. Uh, the semester there and it's summer break and I was like debating on just like dropping out and staying in LA I was doing so well I was producing these two artists like um, I was just having a good time and so I'm like all right well I'm gonna stay out here for now and just feel it out and so I was looking on Craigslist and I found this like there's like two pictures and one of them had a hookah in it like it was like the worst ad ever I don't I actually felt scared when I was going there I was like about to walk through because there's a giant gate and it's like a half acre property and I'm like oh no oh god where's where's Charlie Manson yeah really hey child um so Charlie answers the door no so Saskia um Saskia yeah she's a German woman uh who then lived on a an Alaskan fishing boat when she was like 15 to 18 Oh, and then my God. <laughs> dropped off in Hawaii, was a model, got uh, had like two kids and then met like another guy and had another kid. And then they moved to uh, L.A. and she just started putting, you know, one of her kids was uh, – well, all of them are really talented actually. I mean like all of them are extremely talented. The daughter though, they put her uh, really quickly into movies and such and – the one of the sons was a stuntman, and I think all three of them did acting. And then the other one is more of a photographer now, but that's just where they all all their cards fell. But so yeah, they went to LA to push the dream, you know. And she's just always had a business mindset. So fast forward, she has this um, half acre property in Reseda, California, which is about thirty minutes north of LA. And uh, living in Reseda, you know, Tom, I don't know that Tom Petty. I didn't uh, know like this much Tom Petty. Like Tom one Petty. inch worth of Tom Petty. <laughs> um, it's all right. <laughs> uh, so pretty much I lived in a bedroom with one, two, three, four, five bunk beds. 
and one bathroom. Five bunk beds, so ten beds. Technically, yeah, but I think only eight of us were in there. Only eight. (laughs) Uh, There were, like, two other bedrooms that two people stayed in, and then there was another bedroom of bunk beds. So at the end of the day, and then there were some people that slept in tents in the backyard. So at the end of the day, it was about 20 people that lived there. And best summer ever. I mean, one of those summers I'll never, ever forget. We would wake up. We'd all hang outside in this little courtyard area all day long. Um, one of the guys was working on a YouTube series, so I got to help write the music and direct this, like, goofy YouTube series and film and do everything. I mean, like, it was – I was asked to do so much that I had never done before, and it, like, just, like, threw me into the mix, you know? Um, so I got to do that. I got to work on this record with a friend of mine who was living out there. So I got to go to a few studios that were there um, and you all, and just always come home and have, like, 18 people to – hang out and just, like, shoot the shit with and talk and do whatever we wanted, you know? And the best nights were the club nights. We'd all get dressed up, be like, Jersey Shore, you know, except, like, the taxi was me and I shouldn't have been driving. And we, like, get into my car, we get into another car, and there's, like, you know what I mean? We pull up to this club, we park, we pay too much for parking, and we get out and there's, like, 10 of us, 10, 12 of us that all, like, file into this club. And you basically spend the whole night being like, yeah, we live in a commune. It's not a cult. Not a cult, commune. And then you'd like see the other people and you'd be like, that's them. And so like by the end of the night, we'd have like, I don't know, like 20, 30 people like in this giant party like going on because there'd be like 12 of us and each of us would meet one or two people and you all come together. So like by the end of every single club night, we were hanging out. It was it was so much fun. It was just like this huge ball of good vibes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and were people sober, drinking, smoking? I mean, we were drinking, you know, and smoking, but. Um, nothing crazy? No, nothing more uh and just had some funny people stay at the commune uh we had a few porn stars that always that was my first experience meeting a porn star you know what i mean i was like appreciate your work (laughs) you know what do you say in that situation yeah Yeah, that's interesting they were like your age uh yeah a little older Mm. yeah um so that was kind of interesting um some people one oh a really good friend Aaron from the Isle of Man. Have you ever heard of the Isle of Man? <laughs> it's, a, yes. it's a White Stripes lyric. I feel like I've heard of it. It's a country between uh, London and or the UK and Ireland. <laughs> and so it has like 80,000 people though. It's a country? Yeah, it's a country. I never heard of it. It's a country. Yeah, it's like the smallest country in the world or something like that. Oh, I never knew that. No. Yeah, like 80,000 people. Um, and they actually are known. They have this cat. I think it's a minx. I can't remember, but it has no tail. Hmm. It's a cat, a tailless cat. <laughs> I didn't know that either. Um, I don't know, I'll have to look into that. But so, Aaron, great, great friend uh, I made there, and Bea, uh, and she was from I think oh, Spain. So people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fascinating. How they find out about it? Um, they found out a lot of them Craigslist. Um, one of them, they it's like a couch surfing website as well. Oh, Workaways. That's it. That's what they called them. Workaways. It's like when. You stay at a place for free, but you do all the dishes and clean the place, and then you get to yeah. live for I've free. I've heard of that with more like farming and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. people have done that. I have a couple people I know have done that. Yeah, so it was like the same thing, but just L.A.'s version. Um, but yeah, that was an incredible time and a great creative period too, just working. And I started doing a lot more like FaceTime co-writes and like sending mixes over the internet. And like for that record, I had to 
communicate with like an arranger online and do a lot of FaceTime sessions trying to like dial in the string arrangements and shit. And then like get that transferred over through MIDI and then, you know, program the MIDI and get all the velocity right inside there. And like, so it was like a total, that whole experience taught me how to be a mobile musician, I think more so, because I only had like a backpack, a guitar and a keyboard basically. And I was going session to session with just that gear, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, and prior to that in Nashville, I was like acquiring too much gear and I got back and I sold it all and just downsized to like an Apollo twin, you know, and mm-hmm. like, uh, I got like this Loughton 410 tube mic, you know? And so I just, I started like getting very minimal in mm-hmm. my production and my, uh, gear setup and my mindset and everything just cause there was like no time to think too much. There was no time to do anything at all other than write it, record it, produce it. And... So that was just the music aspect, but back to the commune, yeah, it was just such a, it was a great time, and I loved everyone I got to work there with, you know, and all those people are great. It was, it was a great names too, Saskia, uh, Sai, spelled X-A-I, which is really cool to me, <laughs> um, Kainoa, Josie, Bulgaria, and then some other people I'm forgetting, Jersey, there's a guy named Jersey from New Jersey. You're just named from where you're from. Yeah. Yeah. You're from Bulgaria. We'll call you Bulgaria. Yeah, that was his. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that was his. That's funny. But wow, Jersey a, was literally so did, called Jersey. <laughs> did you do like spring semester then the summer there? Uh, I did a spring semester just like school and then I just lived myself uh, in the summer there. And then, and then, then came back to Nashville. Yeah, I came back to Nashville though afterwards just because that was about when I was like, I just realized I needed to work in Nashville like my genre was there in the moment Mm -hmm. like my I had a lot more people there to be honest it was more accessible um LA is hard to get around it's hard to get from like co-write to co-write it's it's expensive to get a session going like in Nashville you can rent a house and super affordable so there's a lot of home studios like that so I go over to my buddy's house and do drums uh you know at his place you play drums uh, what? Oh, I don't play. Uh, my buddy. Like, you, oh, you record drums? Yeah, when I Got record it. drums for like my record, I just. What instruments do you play? I sing first, and then I play guitar, piano, and then like a little bass, and I keep rhythm and shit on the drums. So when you do a record, what are the things that you're playing? Um, guitars, keyboards. Um, it's probably it. Just vocals. vocals, yeah. Background vocals, guitars, and keyboards. Except for this newer record. So I have this one that's coming out in December, but I'm finishing up the next ro- record after that, which is a rock one. The one that's coming out in December is indie folk. It's just like a. Uh, I mean, it's it's hard. I don't know. It's hard to ex- describe. It's got electronic elements, folk elements, blues elements to it. It's it's super forward man I mean it's something I'm really proud of and it's progressive as fuck sounding um, the next record it's more of like a dirty rock record like a white stripes kind of thing going on uh, so I actually brought in a buddy Zach Keefe who I went to high school with who just moved to Nashville which is kind of cool having people like reconnecting you know Yeah. Um, he played guitars on that and that came out super well and we just uh, I tracked the organ at my buddy Mikey Martell's house uh, he's in Nashville too he's got a dope setup he bought this old church and renovated it into a studio it's like so sick it's got this interesting little shape to it this mm-hmm. churchy church shape <laughs> uh so yeah those are the instruments i play and that's what i played on and you live in the city of nashville mm-hmm. yeah i live just a couple minutes outside of like broadway are there um what what is like the diy scene like there 
it's uh it's pretty cool. A lot of house venues, which is nice. Like the rent is getting up there now, but for a while it was super affordable. So it was a lot like a Greenwich Village scenario. Like in the 60s, Greenwich was just cheap to live at. That's why all the artists were there, you know? Yeah. And so now it's like Nashville. I mean, this is changing. So this will be dated in a couple of years. Like Nashville won't be affordable. But at the moment, like Nashville's Greenwich. It's just an affordable place that artists can go and hunker down and do their work. It's a cheap place to starve is kind of like what it is. But so the DIY scene's super house based, a lot of backyards, you know what I mean? Like, um, I'd say genre, genre wise, there's a lot of surf rock, uh, a lot of, but that usually lives in the DIY realm is that surf rock, indie rock thing. Um, there's a lot of singer songwriter nights. Um, lots of those, a lot of folk nights. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. There's a decent punk scene. It's, eh, I won't. I'm sure the punks will kill me <laughs> over saying that. There's a decent Nashville punk scene. They're like, what? <laughs> no, there's not. It's not punk enough. It's not. It's not punk enough, but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I've gone, those are like my experience that are like DIY punk shows, you know. Would you say it's like primarily folk and, and, and country? Western. I don't alt? see a lot of country at all in no? the DIY shows, actually. Not DIY. I mean like. Oh, the, in general? Yeah. Um, that's what I've always heard it like it's notorious for being country Nashville yeah and even then man like I think songwriters it's notorious for a ton of uh, folks with their guitar and a song and no real set genre you know what I mean like people like in Nashville like you just learn to write a song and try not to think about a genre and just think about Uh, the story about the melody and about the hook you know and so they play it up there so it could be country but if you listen to a song it could be bluegrass could be Americana it could be punk if you just sped it up and you know did like uh, power chords on it so you hear a lot of songwriters that's like the one thing I would say that's a hit or miss with people you know it's because it can be drowsy to listen to a songwriter after a while but Mm -hmm. uh so the songwriters are not always um, shredding the instruments. You know what I mean? They're usually just playing cowboy chords, yeah. which I don't shred. So, I mean, there's no knock there. I don't, I, mean, shred. I, I don't shred. I like to on my own in private. but uh, Why? To jam. It's just not my, like, forte. You okay. know what I mean? That's like I go back to, like, I love hiring out people who are really good at, now, you know, yeah. so I can find the where now guy, which was Zach Keefe this time around. Yeah. Um, and he killed it. I'm so excited for people to hear all the records, but this new rock record, it's so rad and so, like, dirty as fuck. Like, it's just cool. You need to do some vinyl? Uh, dude, I'd love to do some vinyl on it, honestly. That would sound rad. All my releases, I did this double release that I, um, these two songs, In the Water and Color of Her Hair, where I wanted it to be, like, an A-side and a B-side to a 7-inch. Mm-hmm. And they would be perfect on that. My Hide the Knives album is an EP, so it'd be like three and two. It would be, it's a perfect uh, vinyl record. This rock record, dude, it would just be like this grimy, like throw it down, flick the needle on and like crank it. It would be sick. But I got to build up the audience. I got to get people listening so I can actually sell it to some folks. Mm -hmm. But yeah, vinyl would be killer. I definitely think these records belong on vinyl. I'm like a huge proponent of being art positive mm-hmm. i think that we're really critical because i'm super critical about my work i was just talking to my brother the other day and it was like he was like how's the music going and i'm like and i just tracked the organ and uh, <laughs> i always say like the day i track uh, like a ton of instruments or like a ton of things like i could do all drums in one day i like want to kill myself by the end of it because i'm like 
wow, this was a waste of time. This sucks. This is awful. And then the next day I listen back and I'm like, this fucking kicks ass. Like, let's do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I call my brother and he's like, hey, like, how's music? And I was like, oh, well, just recorded Oregon. And I don't know, man, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really sure how I feel about this. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't really know, man. He's like. So everything sounds like it's about on par, huh? <laughs> and it is, you know, it's just the ebb and flow. Um, oh, man, I keep doing that thing where I forget what I'm talking about. <laughs> Recording music. Recording music. Being being like... Oh, wait, audience. No, oh, art positive. Yes. Art positive, yeah. So I just, I think it's easy to be so critical of yourself, and then when you go to display your art to other people, you display your insecurities like not like in your art where it's like oh it, my insecurity is a part of the art it's like you literally are like yeah I just made a record it's like hard for me it's hard to not say like I made this thing and yeah it's cool and it's like hard to not get so like self-doubty and like nervous and like I hope you like it like and shrivel up and like, yeah just want to hide from your art you know what I mean like I don't want to be like down here like Hey, like, you should listen to my record or don't. Like, it's fine. Like, whatever you want to do. Like, no. I want to be able to sit up straight, look you in the eye and say, listen, I worked really fucking hard on this thing and I really think it sounds cool. Or else I wouldn't listen to it a hundred times in a row if I didn't, like, yeah. like, actually believe that this shit rocks. So, you know, it's a hard thing. I'm, I'm trying it on... It's weird to say you're trying it, but it's something I've just been doing for a bit now is trying to be, like, more like, nah, fuck that noise. Like, just be excited about your work, and, you know, I don't have to tell myself that. I, like, genuinely get amped when I get to, like, listen to it or kind of talk about it, you know. It'll be cooler, like, when it's out and more people have heard it, and then there's, like, more, like, dialogue between it. But at the moment, I'm just, like, a total cheerleader on my work, and I'm just, like, prove me wrong. Like, tell me it's awful. Like, tell me my work sucks. I'm fine with that, but it's fucking awesome. <laughs> You know? Yeah, you should definitely take pride and be proud of your work. Um, not to the point where you're being pompous or arrogant or annoying people. But it's okay to be like, yeah, check it out. We did this. You know, I'm, I'm really proud of it. Talk about it in a very light way, in a very optimistic way or an honest way. It, it definitely is challenging to admit you're an artist or a musician because we've been told so many times that that's not a job or a career unless you are making a lot of money. But if you're in that place where you're trying to figure it out, yeah, it's hard. You you've been taught, trained. We all have to not really speak that way. So, yeah, to not, dude. It's just so messed up. How like I feel like I'm being curb stomped when I get to, when I can't talk about my art. Like somebody is like telling me to shut the fuck up yeah. and to be a barista or to get a real job or something. Like when I can't talk about what it is I'm creating that I spend every waking moment of my life on. I get offended, and I think, like, Oh, yeah. It's offensive. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's, like, where this positivity comes from. It's almost like a rebellion against the people who are trying to, like, humble. Not that, like, you're trying to humble me, but, like, the folks out there, the externals. <laughs> yeah. Who want to diminish what you're doing to just art. Yeah. Just this. Yeah. When I think, fuck that. Do you know how many songs have gotten me through a night? Yeah. Music's important as hell. Or got them through a night. It got them through a night. The people Absolutely. who are shitting on my art, yeah. Yeah, while, while they might be making decent money, you know, swinging a hammer, they're listening to the radio. Mm-hmm, They're hell listening yeah. to a podcast. They're listening to art all the time. Dude, yes. That was, I was a, what do you call it, a, a landscaper. 
once, and uh, all the employees were so awful. They were just sexist, racist, awful, awful. I ended up quitting. Like, um, where, where was where was this? It was in Chicago. Um, I'm not gonna say the, the company, but I wish Chicago, the suburbs, the suburbs. Okay, I should say the company because they like do not deserve to be in business, but. I don't know what's keeping me from saying it other than, should I say it? You say whatever you want. Yeah. Fuck you. There you go. Um, just an awful company. And the, bo- like, dude, it was terrible. They were calling, like, I don't want to get into that. What, Anyways. What were they doing? They were just, like, calling. Man, I just didn't like it. I don't even want to get into it. Okay. I just didn't you don't like have to. It. Um, but uh, it was funny because they were just bitching about how, Cause they like would ask everyone's story and everyone's like, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I was supposed to be a history teacher, but I'm a landscaper, you know, oh, I was an ex-convict, which I have total empathy for anybody who gets out of the justice system and has to work any job. Like I'm not trying to like shit on their career, but what they were doing in return was shitting on me as a musician. Cause they'd be like, well, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I go to college. And they're like, Ooh, a college boy, huh? And I'm like, yep. That's what I do, you know? Or then they're like, so what do you do there? And I'm like, I make music. And they're like, oh, you think you're some big fucking big shot in Nashville coming home for the summers, huh? You think you're just some big fucking big shot, you know? And I was like, no, I don't because I'm not. Because I'm here. Because I have zero to my name. I'm here looking at your face. But the whole time they were listening to the Nashville country radio station. And that cracked me up. I just remember the song, can I get a hallelujah, can I get an amen, and that song played like every day, and I just was like, dude, what is, what makes you happy? (laughs) 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 Like, what is it right now? Is it getting me, is it making me sad that makes you happy? Is it the music? Well, they're, they're upset with the the cards they've been dealt, the decisions in life, the, the issues in life they have. And they want to take it out on the lowest common denominator, which is the young buck from who went away. Yeah. It, it, who's a little different from them. It's very, the math is so simple. And you could see it from a mile away when you've lived it, because I've lived it too with many jobs. But I could die on that, that hill and have that, that argument, that conversation any day of the week and call it out for what it is. It's very obvious. Uh, I've met jealous people from the, you know, the, the, the working class blue collar life, which I am more familiar with that than anybody else I know that is in my position. So I could talk about that and say it. You know, I worked at UPS for seven years, mm-hmm. throwing boxes. Oh, yeah. Slinging boxes. Oh, yeah. Local 705 union. Woo. Uh, I went to community college. I went to art schools. I, I took out the loans. I had no help financially with that. I've done roofing many times. I've done construction work, framing, decks, concrete. I've done it all. All my uncles are in the labor unions. I've done everything. And I have so much respect for it. I just don't have respect for anybody who's going to try to belittle me for doing what I want to do. Like, I respect the job. I know what it takes. In fact, when I am on my leisure walk because I have a very fortunate career and I see people doing those jobs, I, like, look at them and I'm like, man, I so much respect for you. This is so hard to be out there in July on the rooftop tarring it. For 12 hours a day, breaking your back at a weird 45-degree angle. It's very dangerous. It's hard. Pouring gravel, shoveling stuff, mowing grass. I've been mowing two acres of land my whole life. Like, I... You know. Yeah, I know what it's like. And 
I mean, I took the job because I thought it's it's a work of art. I've always loved, I mean, I like mentioned it earlier, helping take care of my grandpa's lawn. So it's like, I grew up like appreciating yeah. this outdoor work. You yeah, know what I mean? Or just wanted to do some physical work. Yeah. Wanted to make some money. Dude, a it's patio that. looks beautiful when it's all finished. Yeah. Like that's such a pleasing job. So yeah, man, like, yeah. Sorry. But they might but, be, they might be mad of, about something. They're taking it on you. And I understand too. I mean, even having this conversation, this is therapy right here, but- it's true. You're right. I mean, I and I really don't think about them too much, so they don't take too much headspace. <laughs> but I definitely forgive. Kind of. <laughs> they were bad people. I don't know. Can you forgive bad people like that? Like, um, maybe time will tell. I've, I've unfortunately found myself in places where people are pretty bad. Sometimes they reach out and apologize five, ten years later. Sometimes they never do, but. I try not to think too hard, but I try to learn from it, surround myself with people who aren't like that, you know. I don't really, I don't really pray, because I'm not really religious, but I definitely think about it and send my positive good vibes, energy towards people. Ho- ho- hopefully, ho- hopefully they learn and grow from something. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I do. I don't, I definitely don't hold grudges or resentments because that, that is so toxic. It hurts. Keeps you up at night. It messes with your head, tricks you into thinking you did something wrong, and maybe you did, but you got to forgive yourself too. Yeah, it's it's hard, but I've also met people. So on that side of it, who are kind of being like mean and belittling, but I met people in that same world that are like super nice and they're proud of you. Like, man, it's so cool that you're able to like not do this and you've made your own way and you're doing this thing. You're following your dream. You're doing the music thing. You're doing the production thing. Here, you're making art and you're doing what you love. And I respect that because, like, most people in this world will just talk about it, but they won't actually do it. So it goes both ways. It's not all just negative. Mm-hmm. But you definitely can find yourself in places where everyone's just like, oh, like you said, oh, Mr. Hotshot from Nashville. Like, As I'm literally shoveling shit. Yeah, you're like, I'm right, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I'm right here next to you doing the same job. I'm not a hotshot. If I was, I would own this company. Yeah. You know, I, but yeah. I'm not. I'm here doing what you do. and And I pride myself in that, too, like, like doing the sessions or DZ Fest, like I'm right there doing it. Like mm-hmm. I'm built, I'm framing that stage and I'm digging the trenches. Hell yeah. And I'm out there on a Friday night when it's raining, soaking all the stages, knocking water off the tarps and flipping the tents over and getting messed up and spending all the money and figuring it all out the logistics. Like yes. I'm doing it too. And then performing and doing the production and then the post production of the video and the audio. So like, don't guilt me about whatever progress or wherever it's going. Like I've done it all. Like, all of it, and have dealt with all the ramifications. So, you know, I don't fault people because they don't, they only, they're seeing it from their perspective. They don't fully know what's going on and what it takes to do it because no one does it. There's no, there's no guidebook. There's no rules showing what you should and shouldn't do when putting on a massive music festival. Yeah. Because there isn't one because it doesn't exist. So it's kind of like, I'm just winging it. So if I mess up, it's like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. I've never been taught how to do this, so I'm just trying to figure it out. <laughs> That's cool. You know, it's the same thing with you, like, playing music, going to L.A., doing that thing, the commune thing, coming back. Like, there's not a rule book to, like, making music and living on a commune and collaborating. Like, that, it's so uncommon that, like, you just, you have to do it. The only yeah. way to know is to just do it when you're creating and carving out this really unique path as a person. So you're going to mess up. You're going to upset somebody. You're going to get upset. You're going to break a heart. Someone's going to break yours. Maybe you fall in love for a week and spend too much money. 
All my savings. (laughs) No, not really. Although this one time, dude. How many times has this happened to you? Like twice that I can think (laughs) off the top of my head. I mean, I'm sure more times, but like this one time I... (laughs) All right. So I found out on Venmo you could hook up a credit card, which is a dangerous little game. (laughs) So I don't know what I got, what got into me, but I like found out that... (laughs) 50 cc mopeds are street legal and don't require insurance or registration. They get up to 30 miles an hour. And yeah, so they don't look like the Vespas that you see on the street today. They look like these. They look like little motorcycles, essentially. This is me justifying the coolness of a moped, by the way. Uh-huh. I can tell. <laughs> so it's like a fucking moped. Yeah. And I find this one online, and I don't know what gets into me. I'm like, I'm going to go check that shit out now. <laughs> and so I do. I just go over to this dude's house, and I, like, ride it. And, I like, you should have seen how pleasant, pleasantly happy I was riding. I was just like, this is just a nice smile. Nothing too big, nothing too small. Just a nice smile and a, and a straight chest. Just pure happiness, wind blowing. So needless to say, I spend $700 and I get it to my house and I like immediately regret it. Immediately regret it. So I take a picture and I put it up on Craigslist that day. Um, I get a hit and uh, she like messages me. She's like, I want to buy it. And I'm like, thank God. You know what I mean? Like, I just want this thing out of my life. And uh, along the way, she sends me her music because we're, like, talking about just, like, random stuff. And then she sends me her music. And I'm like, shit, she's a babe. (laughs) 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 Okay. Okay. Um, So, yeah, here's my address. Like, please take this bike away from me. I don't want this burden on my back anymore. So she comes over and she gives the money and then I like invite her out to get a drink because we were just like hitting it off and it was like, it was just going well. So we get a drink and we end up like just seeing each other for that like whole week. Just like every day we see each other. I blew through that $700 that she paid me back pretty much within like two weeks. Like that week and then there were like some like post days after that week and then it fizzled off. Yeah. Which was on my doing. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Who are you um, apologizing to? Her. <laughs> Why? You know, it just feels bad. Because it wasn't mutual. Because it was totally on my end of things. I like kind of was like, I shouldn't be doing this right now. It just wasn't like a good time for yeah. me to be in a relationship or be doing that. And yeah. I was blowing all of my money. So clearly I wasn't <laughs> thinking straight. I was yeah. just like, Meh. Yeah. Wine, wine, champagne, nice dinners. Rooftops, and <laughs> I'm broke. Uh, so yeah, that's that is the story of the moped, uh, moped money, and how I lost seven hundred dollars in a week to moped. That should be like an, an inspiring video. It's like, do you want to lose seven hundred dollars in a week? <laughs> you see this car? You see this car? You see this car? <laughs> and you are at the volume of it too. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. <laughs> what do you? What are you really looking for in life? You want to sit uh, on that couch or do you want to spend your credit card's money all on a you want to spend your money <laughs> on a moped? What are you going to do with your life? Oh man, love is brutal. Love is brutal. You should do some crazy stuff. Yeah. But um hella in love right now. Oh, super that's happy. Good. good for you. So happy to be with her. How long and, have you guys been together? Uh coming up on 2 months. Nice. Yeah. 
Um, so it's still pretty early, but yeah. it's it just feels great, and it's just nice to be with someone like her, you know? That's good. Simple. Put it as simple as possible. Oh, I thought you said, like, she's simple. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Someone like her, simple. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> to make it as simple as possible. Oh. Oh. Sheldon, you are not simple. You are a very complex, beautiful human. I promise. I promise. Please love oh, me. Oh, my God. Yeah, no. That 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 golden moment, those three first three months are quite magical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really nice. Well, that's great. That's good. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm just chilling now. I'm just looking around, working hard, staying busy. Good. Well, you're, like I said, you're busting your ass constantly. It shows. There's something rolling out on DZ every single day. I'm trying. Yeah. It, I mean, Thank it's you. awesome. Thank you. You being able to teach at ISU kicks ass. I love that. I mean, for you, that is so, so cool. I came over, I came over one day <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I was like 19 and uh, Ben talked to me just about DIY stuff and you talked to me about uh, running your own uh, business as a musician and how it becomes a lifestyle and mm-hmm. that really stuck with me. You just kind of like more like super blunt about it. You're like, this is a lifestyle. Like this isn't anything pretty after a while. Like, I don't oh. know. Yeah. You were just like super like, you're like I'm doing Very this. candid. <laughs> yeah. To make ends meet at times. Like, you know, and. It's so real, and I took such a backseat on making it a business and a priority like that for so long that it's finally catching up with me. I'm like, all right, it's time to get my business hat on and mm-hmm. do this. You know what I mean? Yeah, you have to treat it as such. It's very weird, and it doesn't stop. And only very recently have I heard some close friends finally say things like, oh, I I, I don't really envy or would want to do what he does. Like he does, it's just nonstop. It's 24 hours, seven yeah. days a week. And it it is, but it's not the same type of grueling, like eight to four, nine to five nonstop. Because the hours are so random and flexible, flexible, it's, it gives you a unique experience such like I go on hikes every day in the forest, but I get to do it whenever I want. Because I could choose when I want to edit or when I want to send that email or when I want to do a podcast or do a session. So I choose. So it comes with a lot of responsibility, but it allows me to do other things I enjoy still. So it's a very awesome trade-off with a lot of other stress because um, most people know like they're getting their paycheck on Friday or twice a month. And I'm like, well, if a band cancels or this and that, then I don't get it. So it's all over the place, but it has many, many benefits. And it, it is a lifestyle. You don't really escape it. And I I, I like it because it, it means a lot to me. It means that it, it is important to people. It's it's weird, but very humbling and, and very rewarding in, in the most um, selfless and optimistic sense of going to a venue or an event or something somewhere and someone knows me or talks to me or brings up DZ this or that or fest that or a show this or it happens 100% of the time at this point. And it's cool because I like to talk to people. It's someone I might have worked with, someone that has inspired me, someone that made a cool song. It means a lot to me. It's nothing, it's not weird. I'm, I'm Thankfully, I'm not a small like person or a woman. I don't, I'm not really freaked out when people come up to me so that's helpful yeah and uh but it's yeah it, it is a lifestyle you can't I can't really escape it at this point it's all over and it's nice when I go down the ICU I get to kind of escape and then I'm just like the professor there but 
now some of my students are starting to follow me on Instagram. <laughs> uh oh. I follow a few of my professors. <laughs> and I'm cool. like, oh boy. Here they we- just don't like my posts. I know what they're doing. I know that they're I know you're viewing my story. I know you're viewing my story. <laughs> yes. He can know. Dude, I went on this kick on Instagram for like two weeks where I was telling people to unfollow me because I started having this like feeling. I was like looking at my story. I'm like, I'm like, man. I don't really get along with a lot of these people. Why are they still still viewing my story? Like Get along how? Like, I just don't talk to them. Like, we never had any good connection. It was like an obligatory follow that happened at some point. <laughs> so I just started telling people. I was like, if you don't like me, unfollow me. Did it work? Yeah, I lost like eight people. <laughs> yeah, I've... Thin the herd, dude. Thin the herd. I'm at a point where it's like, just, I need more followers. I need more followers, too. <laughs> but I, I just wanted to go on that little campaign for a bit and see how it would go. It's It's... It was Social media is an interesting place. No, it was total like what do you call it? A social experiment. I was yeah. just seeing like what happened, and and then other people. I was like, that's why <laughs> it's so lame. It's lame talking about Instagram in real life. Sometimes you're like, and then on my story, I did this. It's but, I, like I was saying earlier. I can't speak for you, but mm-hmm. I really just try to keep it transparent. Like the only thing I'm not showing is like something tragic happened, and I'm mm-hmm. like sad. Yeah, but other than that, it's like no, this is really happening. Like, yeah. I am drinking this cup of coffee, and it is really awesome. Yeah, and I just made it. I did buy this record; it's amazing, and I love it. This person is in this room, and I am speaking to them, and mm-hmm. their name is Mitch. <laughs> like, this band really did come in here, and I love them. And doing a session, this show is happening. Like, it's all. I just try to be what is happening in my life. I'm just showing it in the moment. In the moment. Yeah, and trying to promote other people that are doing great things like all the time just like helping out anybody else you know just giving back in any way i can if, if it means that this is how i do it this is how i do it but um it is weird it's definitely strange it's not reality it's not real i've been trying to like 7 p.m until i go to bed just like put the phone down like that and just nothing with it oh just turn off notifications just stay away from me i have it's, all it's my hard, though. notifications stuff i have to respond to the students that's true bands important stuff it's like really hard to just not do it it's really hard especially with students yeah i could see that yeah you're right you're right i didn't think of that but like i still i can kind of get away with it depends if it's a weekend i could really get away with it but right now it's really hard a lot of people have gone through some really difficult stuff mentally through the pandemic so i feel extra obligated to respond to students because they're they're going through a lot they had a weird college experience of being in their room remote yeah paying a lot of money to get and a quality education that you weren't, I wasn't able to give them. They weren't able to give me the proper experience so I could become a better educator. It was a lose-lose for everyone. Yeah, You know, I'm, I'm sometimes, like, frustrated and, and embarrassed with how the best way I could have done it because, like, teaching sound-related anything is impossible over Zoom. It's impossible. So I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, this is really hard to do. Yeah. How do you teach and give critique and listen back to people's projects through Zoom? They don't have the right speakers. Not everyone's engaging. They they weren't showing their faces. It was just blank screens. Like I could not get the right feedback and read people and be a human being with them. Because I I try to keep myself on the same level as them. I don't tell them to call me Mr. Aguelas or Professor Aguelas. I just say like, just call me Ben. Like I I'm just a person like you. I just went through a few more steps in life because I'm older than you. Yeah. Like that's I just I'm more, older more, than you. That's I have more it. experience. <laughs> that's why I'm here. Yeah. That's it. And it's hard because 
you still there's still that dynamic change and they're 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 looking up to you for certain things. I'm like I'm trying, but like I'm trying to figure it out. Like I've never been through a pandemic and had to teach, yeah, or do production or do anything, just like you haven't as a student. So we're both suffering here, and it it was very hard. It's definitely not as bad now, but everyone still wears masks, so you still don't get. I've noticed the emotional weight of it is still there. And I've noticed the ability to, like, critique and give feedback properly is still an issue when you can't read people's face. And they're yeah. and people are less – they're less uh, likely to speak when they have the mask on. They, and there's a lot less talking, like, in a good way, a lot less people. That classic college experience where everyone's talking, you're having, like, a think experiment, thought yeah. experiment. That's, like, not as po- not as common and popular as it once was. So it'll Aww. come back, I think, once the masks go away. Yeah. And we get more used to it. Used to being back in class, you know, so yeah, it's weird. You you graduated at the right time. <laughs> I did. 20, it, 2019, right before, um, I mean, the year before it hit. Nice. Yeah, so I, my, <laughs> mine was the last graduating class that I got to walk the stage. Yeah. So I got out just in time. Yes. I can't imagine a senior I, year of high school or college in the pandemic. It must dude, have been so depressing. I don't know if I would have even gone through with it. If I would have paid that money, you know what I mean? Sounds terrible. Yeah, that sounds like a waste. I mean, it would what would have been frustrating is if it was like one more semester. You know what I mean? And yeah. then you had because you're like, what am I not going to go to this? Well, there's last people semester? who graduated May 2020 and March 2020. We had to not go back. So like that last six weeks, they were eight weeks. They were so close. Yeah, and they lost. Like they didn't get it. Eight weeks. It's so sad. It it's even sucks. It's been sad for everyone. Like, my little sister, she's 15, and so she lost her first freshman year of high school. Yeah. She was all indoors, and, you know, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to speak on behalf of her, but it definitely didn't do anything good. No. <laughs> no, it did not. And it's just, it's sad, and it was unfortunate. And you It's know. like you can go and hang out with your friends, either. Yeah, that was the weird you part, know? too. And she just had these, like, her neighborhood goons, we call them, and it was like, couldn't really see them for a while, no sleepovers, yeah. you know. And you're like 14, and that's all you do is sleep over at your friend's house. Yeah, the classic weekend stuff mm-hmm. you would do. It's right before everyone starts getting jobs. Yeah. It's that that freshman, sophomore year is really special because all you have is school. Mm-hmm. It's 35 hours a week. Yeah. And then you have all this free time. You're too young to work. You're old enough to understand stuff in life, and you're starting to, go, you know, and go to fall McDonald's in love and, and like, you know, girls, boys, and everything. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's an interesting time in life. So to have that robbed? Uh, yeah. Sounds terrible. Definitely was. Thankfully, things are back are pretty back to normal ish um, yeah. for her. Um, for everyone, it's it's yeah. I mean, I played a show. I've gone to four shows, and I played one Monday, and everything was Ooh, normal. How was it? It was awesome. Fuck yeah! It was the first one we played indoors since March 2020. Since March seventh at the at Coles. That's awesome. And it was great. Great turnout. It was really fun. Um, yeah, everything was normal. It's interesting. It's like. We're all wearing masks inside, but as soon as everyone's eating and drinking, they take the mask. It's if you're oh, performing, you take your mask off. I don't know. If you're drinking, you take it off. If you're eating, you take it off. Uh, it's yeah. I don't have an answer, but it's definitely strange. Yeah, I think we can all agree upon yeah. that. I'm like, I don't know what we're doing here. It's such an in between period. It feels very arbitrary to be like half of you don't have it on, and you're spitting out stuff because you're drinking and talking and eating and performing and singing into the crowd. But is if you're not singing and you're not performing, you're not eating, you're not drinking, you gotta keep it on. I'm like, hmm. not to mention funky. It's it's just interesting because the whole like <laughs> the people who aren't probably wearing masks weren't vaccinated either, and then you get the people who are wearing masks that are vaccinated, yeah. and you're like, what the fuck is going on? Well, everyone here? had to prove vaccination to get in, you know. 
Do you guys have the negative COVID test option too? I don't know because when we were playing, we went through a different door. Like they didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I wasn't paying attention to that. But to get in, I you forgot. Ha- actually, you're right. You do have to. In Nashville, you can show just a negative test from like the day. Of oh, or okay. Before, but or the. I think it's negative forty-eight card. hours yeah. and or proof of vaccination. I believe so. But um, yeah, I don't have an answer. I just know that from that experience, it's a bit goofy. You know, <laughs> it just is. You're just like, I, have to, I see people with masks off. I see people with masks on. We're all vaccinated. I don't know what we're doing. I really don't know what's going on. When are you going to start doing shows in the basement? Probably never again. <laughs> For those looking, his face. <laughs> that was pure... Just like an era died inside of me. Yeah. Like I think my yeah. early, yeah. my late teens, early 20s just you, died. That response was priceless. I wish I had a, a as the kids say, a, a gif of that. <laughs> you, you, it was like no emotions. You weren't happy or sad. You're just like, so that's what we're doing now, huh? So that, <laughs> that's like you just found out the president you don't really care for. He's got a second term. You're like, all right. Well then. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll explain myself. Uh, after a decade of doing that, uh, it's you, A, first of all, COVID, we stopped because of that. And then I started remodeling my house and redoing everything. And I realized how destroyed it got from having thousands and thousands of people here partying and putting on shows every month for years on end. And I was like, I can't, it's so much work. Everything got destroyed. My, my bathroom did, I had to replace the floor. It was just a lot. And I was like... I could still do shows, just like, what if I just, like, could do it somewhere else? And so it's not destroying a home. Like, I live here. People live here. And it's a lot of work on the gear. I have to move couches. I have to move that gear in the basement. And I'm like, I'm just so tired of all that getting so messed up and messing up the house. Then I'm like, what if I want to buy the house? What if I want to sell it? So I'm like, I'll just stick with the fest, try to grow that, bring it elsewhere, still do the sessions, then try to, one day I hope to have a venue in the city and and then just... Really? Is that the dream? There's a, there's a lot of them. That's one of them. That's a really cool dream. To <laughs> That's own one your of, own venue. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. You'll, you heard it here first. A uh, coff, coffee shop, record store, guitar shop, book shop, venue, recording studio, music festival in Chicago, and uh, maybe a couple other cities, you know, but... Yeah, no, 100% franchise <laughs> that. I'm all for it. I Trying. Think. It just takes a lot of time and money. Ambassadors. But, yeah, the ideas, the skills, the gear, the know-how, and the connections are all there for all those things, to be honest. It's really just, do I have a couple million dollars, <laughs> you know? No, I don't, hmm. so. Well, I'm thinking for you. I mean, there are angel investors out there, and you put enough stuff out and show your proof. I mean, you show worth. Like, this company you have, to me, has weight. Yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's in the works. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, it's it's uh, I'll tell you more off, Mike. <laughs> yeah, understood. Because <laughs> it's just like there's a lot of moving parts. Because it's it's a lot of things I'm trying to do. I'm trying to take what started off as a very very weird, goofy, and cryptic idea in 2010, and really earlier than that when I first built the DZ in 2015. <clears throat> Sorry, 2005 when I was 15, <laughs> and I I wanted to have a music fest. It was 2007. And I was like, I want to have a fest. And I actually found the little poster we made hmm. from October 2007. It's in the back. It's in the DZ. I found it the other day. It's really funny. It has a lineup of bands, what we're going to have there. Uh, 
uh, a dinosaur bone scavenger hunt. <laughs> a two-way petting zoo where you pet the animals and they pet you back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is the highest idea. <laughs> I was sober as could be. I didn't drink or smoke at all back then. And a bunch of other goofy stuff, different That's bands. Funny. Radiohead was going to play, you know, fun stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to do that forever. And then I remember bringing gear back there, putting it on the DZ. My friend and I had a drum kit and a guitar amp. And we were playing. I got a little executed. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, I'm 17 years old trying to figure out how would I put a fest on here. Mm-hmm. And then it took, you know, once that idea turned into DZ Records in 2010 and then DZ Fest in 2012 and the original podcast that turned into this, Friends with Music, which you were on mm-hmm. six years ago. That was a rough episode on our end. We uh, they were all rough episodes. That that's why episode. this. That's why I've learned, like, you just do one-on-one. Like, yeah, dude. This is the, the best way to do it. <laughs> it was so bad. We were, like, just being idiots. We were, like, 17 and too stoned and, like, <laughs> trying to be funny. And then, like, his name is Matt, right? Yeah, my cousin Matt. Yeah. He was, like, taking us too seriously. Not yeah. like he was doing anything wrong. Like, yeah. he was, like, just genuinely, like, oh, so what about that? And then I was like, fuck, that was a joke. That didn't go over well. <laughs> so they were just, like, a bunch of missed punchlines. It's an awful interview on our end, so uh, that ever resurfaces. I don't know what happened. I was Because that was – him and I started that. Like, we had an agreement. I'd be the producer and help get people in and provide the space, and he would be the host. And he would have to, like, put the episodes out. Mm-hmm. and deal with the financial part of that. We did that for for a long time. We did that for five years until he had a kid, and then he, he start, started slowly focusing more on his kid, which mm-hmm. is great. And I started doing taking more over and over, and then we so it went for eight years, pretty much until the beginning of the pandemic. Damn. Like the very early stages of it. And then, yeah, it kind of fizzled out and then I started doing this. Because I've been wanting to do more of a podcast like this where it's not just about music but talking to all different types of people. Mm-hmm. Specifically the people that I've been meeting after doing, running, and having a DIY space for 17 years, you know. Yeah. So there's a lot of people, a lot of interesting people out there. So, yeah. And um, this podcast was born from that. But... um where was I? Oh, yeah, back to the, the fest idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like having it in 2007, but like not knowing how to do it, like no connections, don't know anything about gear or electricity or promotion. Social media was not what it is now, getting stuff out there. I didn't know any bands. I wasn't even in a band. I was just messing around with friends and with music. Not, no pun with the podcast. <laughs> and, uh, and When did Wilshire start? Wilshire started in March 2010. And it was actually one of the biggest motivations and, and and things that pushed DZ Records because I was like, I want to have... Kind of, I loved those Wilshire performances. Oh, those thanks. are some of the most, like... That's, like, a, such a night ender is just, like, when, uh... Oh, Louise and uh, your buddy with the blonde hair. Yeah, Ryan. Ryan. Oh, yeah. It's like... Dude, it's just, like, hands up, like... Oh, that shit feels so good. Thank you. Yeah, That was July 4th, 2015. I remember that red performance. Red shirts? Yeah, red shirts. Red shirts. I remember that performance. Man. Wow. Yes. Though that was a really, really... Wa- DZ Fest has been crazy. It's been absolutely insane. <laughs> Sorry, I keep interrupting. <laughs> no, um, I'm just like, I lost. I'm just ranting. But, yeah. I, I want to... The intimate evenings, the shows we used to have, and the, the comedy shows and all that. So much fun. It was a great way to meet a bunch of bands. Bands that played DZ Fest bands that I wanted to. 
uh, something to do throughout the year. Mm-hmm. There's nothing going on out here. You know, there's no other real like super legit DIY spaces. We we were able to use really cool gear from the fest and apply to a house, so have like a legit venue in a basement. Yeah, that sounded awesome with engineers who went to school for it who actually work in the field. So we had like the best version of everything, but in a basement. So it was really cool. It was like an eight camera setup, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, five or six. I'd have a GoPro. We'd have a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Full sound system, control over the monitors, uh, everything. It was really cool. Packed house every time. A lot of fun. No, Never had any issues. No fights. No, Not that I'm aware of. Someone would always say, like, oh, did you hear about what happened? I was like, no, I was too busy making sure Running. this happened. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't really care what happened because everyone's gone now and it's fine. But, uh, yeah, the damage on the house, the amount of work it was, because I'd always have sessions on Sundays. So I'd have, like, to set up my whole house for a show. Then somehow put it all back together and film two bands the next day. It was like burning me out. Yeah. Burning the candle on both ends. It was a lot. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take that concept and hopefully bring it back one day in a venue, like in the city, you know? Dude, I mean, so better hopefully. to stop like while you're on top in that sense because yeah. nothing. No issues. Nothing yeah, ever nothing happened. Nothing crazy. Pandemic happened. stopped at DZ Fest. The last one will be here in July, mm-hmm. the 10th one. And then hopefully trying to bring it to the city. Hopefully trying to. But I'm like, 10's a good number to stop at. It's too big for here. It's too much work, too much risk on every level. And it can't, again, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, it can't grow when it's just in the backyard. That is, it's confined to that. It has limitations. Square feet, limitations, and also, like, the way it's perceived. It's like the city can perceive it a certain way. The neighbors are my friends, but an attendee will be like, Oh, this is cool, but it's like here. It's in a backyard. There's not enough to accommodate. You can't grow more. I want to get more bands. I want to expand. I want to have more stages. I want. I also want to physically stop having to do it because it is insanely <laughs> exhausting and super dangerous and super expensive. And I'm like, I could sleep at night knowing I did 10 on my own. <laughs> I really could. That's cool. I could sleep at night. And now doing it at the high school, that's cool because the infrastructure is set up, so I just got to show up with some gear. But it's, they have their own theater and they have this and that. And that's fun because it's for charity. I want to keep it for charity. I don't want to make a ton of money off this. I want to sustain it, but I don't want to be, like, wealthy off of it. I want to be the guy who created a fest and has a bunch of money and sells out. I want to be the guy who created a fest and uses the, that reach and the bands and the art to help people in that world, other artists, other musicians, other people who have that dream, you know? Yeah. Yeah. reinvesting and paying bands as mm-hmm. much as you possibly can yeah I, that's another thing yeah. there's only so much I could pay when it's like donations and people aren't donating it's like but if it's yeah. a legit venue or a legit park with legit ticket prices and I could we can map it out and plan it and have an accountant do all that and actually pay people and everyone yeah. actually it's better for everyone but I would never change like still getting cool like underground bands from mm-hmm. who don't get to play places like it's that's still gonna that philosophy ethos will still always be there like I don't know how to not think and act that way. That's cool. It's inherent, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's why we, we're not having any shit. Because you're like, when's the next one? Well, that <sighs> long rant. No, <laughs> I I understand. I mean, I respect that. That's that's true coming up spirit. Like, you are treating this as you should, it sounds like. Like a serious business that you care for and mm-hmm. you want to franchise. Yeah, you I can't mean, do it forever in a basement. No. Like, eventually stuff gets destroyed. Eventually you piss off the wrong neighbor. Like, you can't. you literally cannot do it forever. That's the reason why... The longevity of a DIY space, as you know, because didn't mm-hmm. you do one mm-hmm. of those in yeah. a few places? Yeah, they last 
one to five years max. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we, three years. We they like don't last two long. Years, two right. years at both spots. And what, what, uh, what started it and what ended it for both of them? So what started it was necessity and what ended it was necessity. <laughs> but, Elaborate. Uh, so... <laughs> We were 17 at my buddy Otto's house, and we that's where we would rehearse, the drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, and his parents were just really cool and said that we could throw a show. So this one time, we made flyers, and we had just started our band, and uh, well, we were called something else at the time. Um, completely Freak. Completely nice. Freak. Before we were Love in the Dark. And... Uh, so we threw this show, and I invited a ton of people from my high school, and we had like 30, 40 kids come out, you know? And we were all in the—it uh, was in the garage, the first show was. And it just went well. The kids loved it. Like, it didn't break out into a big party or anything. Um, I tried to bring beer, but Otto's dad said no and made me give it back to my brother. So, <laughs> like, I was, like, the only person that was, like, really trying to, like, work an angle there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it started in the garage, and then that one went so well that we immediately just— we moved it to the basement because that's where we rehearsed, and it was just, like, way more cool inside. And— we started throwing shows like every two weeks at that house, like throughout senior year of high school up until uh, I moved. I Well, I left for college uh, when I was 18, so the year after, but then I stayed that summer and then I like officially moved to Nashville when I was like 19. So between 17 and 19, pretty much every couple weeks when we were home, we would throw a show in that basement and invite all these kids out. And we'd have, we had most like 100 kids from my high school in like this small ass basement just pouring out of the house. And it was amazing because I look back and I think about all those kids have that memory now. You know what I mean? They have mm-hmm. this like special memory of being with their high school friends at this cool house party with the bands played, you know? Yeah. And they got smoked a little weed in the school bus. Like my buddies had a school bus there that we could hang out on. Um, so being able to provide that memory, uh, just as a side note, was one of my favorite. That is my favorite part of a DIY venue is providing such a special memory mm-hmm. that's unlike any other because we you can go to a venue any day yeah you know you can go to this rock club whenever you want you can go to this bar whenever you want but you can't go to somebody's basement whenever you want mm-hmm. and see like these four bands kick ass and that's exactly what we did we looked around and it was just like you i mean it, we literally like i got into the DIY scene in Chicago through the Dollhouse, and I first saw you. I first met you at the Dollhouse, and you were reading Wilshire lyrics as poetry. Mm-hmm. And we like that was a uh, December, maybe December. I don't know why I know this, but I feel like it was like December third, two thousand fourteen. That's when I'm releasing the EP. Two thousand fourteen. In two thousand fourteen, yeah, we're going back in time, baby. I yeah, that's that's my memory at that's work. Funny. But uh, it was December two thousand fourteen for sure. I know that. That's funny. Yeah, I do remember that. Actually, that's how I did meet you. Yeah, and I you. was yeah because <laughs> Wilshire, all those lyrics were just my poems. Like mm-hmm. that's why they don't have like a first chorus, first chorus type of situation going on. But yeah, that's funny. Wow, that's yeah. interesting. So I mean, you explained DZ Records. I was already around the Chicago DIY scene, so it was all like starting to like form in my head. So when I got into that band. Because I had been playing solo beforehand, and I did, like, all the venues in Chicago. I never got involved in the DIY scene. I was only, like, I played solo between, like, 13 and 16. 13 and 17. And I did, like, all the Chicago, like, bars that I could get into and shit with double X's on my hands. Yeah. Local venues. And so when I was 17, that's when I met you, I think. 16, maybe? Maybe, like, all going on. December 2014, so 
So I was 16 going on 17. Okay. You are That's crazy. Um, and yeah, I just, I saw the videos, you know what I mean? And it all made sense. So what started it was necessity was being in a band, in a band, in an area that didn't have a cool scene. Like the suburbs of Chicago just didn't have anything. And we were Plainfield, kids. right? Uh, well, Homer Glen, but okay. between Orland Park and Lockport and Joliet. Yeah. And we did a lot of shows in Joliet. And Joliet had a great scene. We were at the Drunken Donut was the name of this venue. It's still there, right? Uh, I guess so. I think it's kind of withering down. Okay. I hope not. I actually hope it's still thriving. Um, I just haven't heard much from it in a minute. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the Drunken Donut. And we used to go there every Wednesday and play there. And that's like where we got our followers to come over to Otto's basement. Yeah. Um, and so... It started there, and then it ended just because we all went away to college and kind of grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that venue. And then I started, when I was in the middle of throwing those shows, I started a company called Orange Light Studio. Uh, I started with a buddy of mine, Rob, and we basically just created a band camp page to host all these local bands um, and share fans was the idea. And it kind of worked. We didn't really, like, hit it too hard. I just didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I just created a band camp page and put... I think you guys were on there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just so all of our fans could go. It was a label page, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we started throwing shows under the name Orange Light Studio. And when I got to Nashville, I went to a So Far Sounds show in that, there. And uh, it was at this warehouse. And I met the owner. Um, and we were just talking. And he said it was the first show he had thrown at this warehouse. Like... He had just started leasing it. It's an art space. It's meant for events. And I was like, well, perfect. I've been throwing shows in my buddy's basement. Like, I'd love to throw shows here. And it was like a 200-person cap uh, warehouse. And we just hit it with full force. I was in music business school, so I made all my friends. uh, Like, we all, like, were volunteers, and which is, like, hard to say now because, like, when you put in that much work, like, you should be paid for what you did. We just didn't get any money mm-hmm. from what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Or if we did, it was going towards, like, gear or paying a band or doing something else other than paying ourselves. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> I do know. I do. So it was me and a ton of friends, and we basically ran a website with a blog. We did what you guys were doing. I mean, we took the DZ model and ran with it and just called it Orange Light Studio. We did videos, uh, interviews, the website thing. We threw shows there. We would then found a record store on campus that we started throwing shows at. So we had two venues that we were throwing shows at, but both were not real venues. They were DIY venues. Mm-hmm. They were just blank spaces. And so what I did is I bought, via learning it from you, can lights, just fucking can lights and plug those things in, get mm-hmm. enough extension cables, mm-hmm. get some colored lights or get some gels and put that over. I feel like I remember you asking me about that. I wouldn't doubt it, man. Cause like it, about lights. I was like, dude, just go to Menards and buy some can lights. The best investment ever. They break. You only spend a couple bucks. And they never break. But they never break. And that's the best part about them. They're like little pieces of cheap aluminum that yeah. you can't, like you can't break it. It's just aluminum. And if it gets bent, you're like, wasn't you, it bent when we you bought just it? You bend it back. Like it's aluminum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's No, it's the best. I have, that is, oh my God. When you bring it up, I have random stuff around my whole property, house, garage, but I'll just find like a black garbage bag and it's just filled with lights or extension cords. I have hundreds. <laughs> hundreds of can lights and extension cords everywhere like i'll just like like where did that go and i'll open up like a drawer or closet and just, like, <laughs> 400 things just pop out and there's just cables everywhere i don't even know where i put them like where did i put that oh yeah it's in that closet it's over here like what do you do when you have a fest in a venue for 10 years of extension cords and lights for two stages and art tents and merch tents and 
sound tents. You're like, what do I do with all this stuff? This isn't normal stuff you use every day. No. You use, like, the average person uses, like, two or three in their whole house. Yeah. I, I literally probably have, like, two, three hundred. So it's like, I don't know what to do with all this stuff. That's so funny. You'll Sorry, find I didn't mean to cut you off. No, just, just keep it. Made You'll me find laugh. place. <laughs> Yeah, lots of lights, um, lots of Christmas lights. That's mm-hmm. great. Lighting at a DIY venue might be one of the most fun. It's it's fun. Yeah. It, there's no wrong way. Just yeah. have enough to film. Yeah. Yeah. And that's much. it. But however you want to do it, like around us. Mm-hmm. I was looking. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's eight can lights in here right now. Make like the same stuff I used in the basement, just right here. Fuck yeah. Yeah. So what what was the demise of that? The orange light. Um, well, actually, it was, uh, what was the name of it? Like, the Ghost Ship or one of the DIY venues in California that burned down. Mm. There is a show in California. Oh, yeah, in uh, Oakland? Yeah. Yeah. And it was something ship, I feel, like the Ghost Ship, which is an eerie name. But, um, I could be wrong. Uh, but pretty much the owner lived there, and there was a lighting issue. And, um, the place fucking caught on fire, and I think some people died. And it like was a huge wake up to DIY venues, and so somebody's, somebody's someone got pissed and called like the fire chief or somebody on us, and so we had like the fire department like roll through and like talk to the venue owner and like cops came at like this one show. We had set everything up. It was before it started, and they all came over like a big fleet of people because our shows had started like gaining popularity in Nashville. We were getting like 150 people a show or something, and mm-hmm. so like the on the DIY sense, it was doing super well. Um, yeah. And so just our show was an example. Like there were a few venues in town that were like example venues to shut down. And I think we were one of them Mm -hmm. because then there weren't many shows there after that Mm -hmm. for a while. And then honestly, that owner or renter then gave it over to another guy uh, who's my buddy. And he uses it now in a completely different manner. He uses it to create, uh, he creates countertops like a concrete countertop. So he uses the warehouse as like mm. a, more of a studio space for his work. Mm-hmm. So no more events there. So part of the ending of it was just the actual physical ending of the venue, you know, mm-hmm. but really it was that fire, um, which was, I mean, honestly, that had always been a concern of mine was the safety of these shows. Uh, when we were at Otto's, we had one, one entrance, one exit. Sorry. <laughs> we had one entrance, one exit. And, you know, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't open flames in the basement at times. So Why open flames? Just open flames, man. <laughs> <laughs> just fire, fire around the basement. And um, Why fire? Like, what do you people, smoking, just smoking? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's why, I, yeah, I did not allow that. Like, smoking, no candles, nothing with fire was allowed at all. I was very strict about that. When I caught someone trying to smoke, like, nope. Yeah. That's not happening here. Not because I don't think it's okay to smoke weed, but I don't want open flames in this basement with carpets on the ceiling that are very low. No. No, just As no. one shouldn't. Yeah, keep it out, outside. There's too many people down here. No one wants to be covered in smoke when you're trying to, like, pack in a basement, you know? Yeah, no. But, yeah, go ahead. We did. Yeah. <laughs> it was a different scene. Different scene. I was older when I was doing this stuff, too. Yeah, I was we over and I... Children. Were you... Would you stay um, sober when you'd put on these events? No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm yeah. not going to lie. No. No, don't lie. I, get, I, mean, I wouldn't get obliterated or anything by any means. I never mm-hmm. was, like, blackout drunk at these yeah. things. So, no, I was always, like, with it. And I maintained the shit out of those shows. We never had any fights, never had any yeah. uh, drug or alcohol issues. Um, there were a few incidents of 
some girls not feeling comfortable around some dudes. That mm-hmm. happened a few times, and we took care of that, and we got rid of those dudes, like, immediately. Yeah, pretty much. We kicked them out, like, at the show, too. Yeah. So that was about as dramatic as those shows got. So I was able to handle everything and answer all the questions and do all the tech. I mean, dude, I did... I booked the bands, did the lighting, did the sound, did the marketing, you know what I mean? Like, so when you just do it all after a while, everything's just an answer. You just have an answer for everything. Mm-hmm. You're like, how do you do this? And you're like, well, this, like, you know what I mean? Like, I do. Yeah. I remember somebody being like, I'm not getting sound from my interface. And he was trying to use a computer like through the sound system. And it was something like, I was like, go to your sound. Like, I was like, go to your sound settings and change the output device to your Scarlet interface. And he's like, genius. Like, so there's just shit like that. I could just be like, <laughs> genius. Do this like now. Signal flow. <laughs> signal yes. flow. Yeah. yeah. Like almost honestly, like take the concept of signal flow and apply it to a, an event. You know, apply it I mean? to life. Apply it to life. Yeah. Signal flow works everywhere. Like how did she get pregnant? Signal flow. Dude. Signal flow. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it's understanding the pathway of how things work mm-hmm. is the best way <clears throat> to like figure out how anything works. Yeah. Even if you don't have the proper training or education in it, you're like, how having a good understanding of how to like supply proper and clean power to both stages from extension cords from your house mm-hmm. in an old house with bad outlets and bad circuits requires just understanding signal flow and how electricity works. And how resistance, amperage, and voltage works, and watts on the output, and understanding that, and the lighting, and uh, the audio signal flow, the the way the hierarchy of managing something works, um, all of it, and it's it just takes doing it. You got to mess up the power. The circuits would flip during DZ Fest. They have, and had to figure out like why this wouldn't work. There wasn't enough power for that. Like these things had to happen. The failure had to happen. I've had so many failures. The key to it is not letting people know. So when they do see it work, they're like, wow, you're so great. How'd you do it? It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but really, it's like, because I kept messing up, because I got electrocuted, because yeah. I broke something. I was going to say, you getting electrocuted in DZ is like Doc uh, hitting his head <laughs> and figuring out the flux capacitor. So you got electrocuted. I've and, had my shocks. And got the, ge- and got the strike of genius <laughs> to come up with DZ Fest. I think that's literally what happened. DZ is your flux I did, capacitor. I did get electrocuted on my... I would say more of a massive shock, a 120-volt shock. It, uh, yeah, and that helped me learn, like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing yet. But, like, I had to be on this crappy, dangerous cabin rooftop getting shocked at 17 years old to understand, like, it's going to take more time for me to do this. Dude, I actually, when you said that story, too, I have a similar experience, except I was, like, six or seven or something, and I had this radio, and I'd always been interested in, like, taking apart electronics and shit and just, yeah. like, looking at it. Like, I'm not even, like, good at, like, soldering. Yeah. So I'm not, like, going to have some success story, like, I took apart radios, now I build them. <laughs> even better. No, I don't know how a radio even works, but I took apart shit and just was, like, interested in the cables and the wiring of it, and... This one time I had two wires. One was plugged into the outlet and one was, and it was like detached from the uh, radio itself. And so I like did that. And I remember it being like, poof, and like had this like big explosion, this big like thing. And I was just like blown away literally by it. But it was so cool. I remember thinking how cool that was that yeah. that could happen. I was like, what just happened? And yeah. so after that, I then stuck a screwdriver a few times into an outlet nice. just to see it shock. Just shock. to like get it close and see it go. Did you, you didn't, you, it had yeah. a rubber handle. Yeah. So you're all good. Yeah, it was always good. 
Isn't that insane? I could have fucking died. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I was just so like... If not died, you could have got hurt pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. That natural curiosity, dangerous or not, it's what people need to push the, the envelope to go a little bit above and beyond. You need to have it. It needs to be apparent and natural and kind of... I think it's the, the 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 basic fundamental foundation like the main ingredient in the formula for anybody who's going to like just do something slightly different not saying it's something great or something extraordinary but just something slightly different you need to be strangely curious curious you need to have you need let me rephrase that I'm I'm fumbling my words here you need to have a strange curiosity strange in the sense that most people aren't thinking of it that way yeah and curiosity in the sense, like, you need to wonder, like, wh- why? Ask why. Be, be, be in awe of how things work. Admit you don't know. Because as soon as you can admit you don't know something, then, you're, then that curiosity comes right in, takes mm-hmm. over, and you can start learning stuff you didn't know. You might meet someone who's better at something, so you have them do that one thing. That's why some of the most successful companies and bands, they delegate the work properly they have like if you're in a really great band you know when i'm great at singing but that person's great at harmonies and that person plays guitar better so i'll play this and that person does that better and i do that yeah and it, you just see it all come together much better and same thing with a great business like it's very rare one person does like everything yeah. it's it just it doesn't work that way like if i were personally to grow what i do here i, I would have to have m- much more people mm-hmm. involved you know it's just getting the right people is what's important yeah people have that that heart that's curious about, like, really what's going on. Like, what can I do with it? How it works? What doesn't work? But setting yourself up for failure is very important. I think you have to fail a lot. I failed so many times. So many, like, I'm going to try this, you know, and it didn't work. Like, that DZ Winterfest that mm-hmm. you played in December of 2015. Yeah. Oh, well, that's such a bad performance of Solace on my end. I hate that video. My band, like, kills it every time. Like, I always watch those videos. I'm like, wow, my band kills it, but why did I sing it in that key? My biggest regret of Love in the Dark is not just moving the fucking keys down, like, two whole steps. If I did, what a world. It's all right. It was, but, why, like, why didn't you? just didn't. I just didn't even think about it at the well, time. Now you know. See, like, yeah. you had to do that. Now it's a thing You have that to hate those videos, so now you can be a better musician now. They're pretty cool videos. They are cool. <laughs> but yeah, as a musician, I'm like definitely like, oh, I could have done They're crazy this. videos. I mean, that's the best part about all of it. At the end of the day, it's like, man, I didn't know it at the time, but like I have a, a decade of my life dec- documented in HD with high quality audio. Yeah. Like 1,400 videos of it. <laughs> I get to look back at any part of this decade and see what was going on, what I was doing, what they were doing, where they came from, where these bands went, the growth. It's really, it's really cool. I didn't, I never thought about it while doing it until now. Enough time has passed. I'm like, oh, interesting. That's cool. It is interesting, yeah. But um, curiosity, curiosity. No. It's the most important thing to have. I'm with you, man. I mean, it's like it's about keeping for me. It's that child, that childlike wonder. And I'm still such a kid, but yeah. I, but I feel like every year I'm trying more and more to see it as a child, mm-hmm. to see everything as a child, you know, and I get so, so serious and brooding about my music, you know what I mean? Like, that I have to remember to, like, just get goofy with it, and so, like, and it just changes everything. When I started getting, like, sillier with my music, it wasn't that I was, like, making it silly, it was that I was experimenting in these new cool ways that I wouldn't have if I was, because in Nashville you get super, like, tunnel vision and you're like i need to write a hit i need to make this kind of record i need to i need 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 
as opposed to just like, I'm here to create. But again, like we don't live in a world where we get $2,000 a month to then turn around and be like, I'm here to create. Like we have to make rent. Mm -hmm. So there is this element of like, okay, well, how do I make music and make money off of it? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that pairing then taints the music because <laughs> then you start thinking about money. Like uh, Quincy Jones said that when money enters the room, God leaves. And it's just this idea of like when you're writing a song, when you start to think about like what will actually make money, it's like then the creative juices start leaving and going by the wayside, you know. And so I feel like school drilled that into me was so like you need a hit. You need this kid, you know. only need the hits. And so getting out of school and trying to rediscover that playfulness in music and that like what happens if I do this? Like what if I do make this bold fucking decision and like leave that wrong bass note there? Like, what if it's just, like, for this record, I got to a lot of moments where I was, like, at first, um, I started lightly auto-tuning things for the texture of it. Like, I was just, like, I liked the little flickers of the auto-tune, and then I, like, just, like, fucking hard-tuned everything. And I was, like, this sounds dope. And it was just because I was just having fun with it, and I know that... Like, vocals only? Yeah, vocals only. Just hard auto-tune and everything else. I mean, it's, like... Have you done that before? It was the first time I really, like, dug into it now. And that was, to like, if I was following, it's if I was playing it safe and I was trying to make a hit or I was not having enough fun, if I wasn't playful enough, if I wasn't curious enough, then I would have stayed in a zone where I was trying to make some country hit, which, sure, maybe I'll write a country song one day, but I don't think about that shit. It's just not, like, what my heart dreams of, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But then I started, like, turning the auto-tune on the vocal and it's like everything changed everything how I approached all of my music changed it was I started using synth bass heavy distorted Yeezus synth basses instead of uh, DI electric basses you know what I mean I mm -hmm. started sampling people screaming and uh, like sirens and shit I, I sampled people laughing or like little kids laughing like I'm doing I'm now having this like playful curiosity where I just think, like, what's bold enough and what's going to push myself and somebody else over the edge? Like, and it's just this pure, like, what if we put someone screaming right here? Like, ooh, like, Google freesample.org screams. And then, like, I drop it in there and, like, edit it and shit. Curiosity, man. Yeah. It's, like, it is what pushes everything forward. It's what gives somebody something new to look at. You know, I mean, Steve Jobs and Walt Disney, you know what I mean? Talk about one of the biggest imaginations and having a curious brain trying to figure shit out. Like, come up with an iPhone? That takes a lot of curiosity. <laughs> yeah, it does. Come up with a whole Disney world? Like, Disney world, not just a movie, which alone in itself is an amazing task to bite off, but a theme park, an amusement park. Yeah. A lot of trial and error, a lot of years. Wow. A lot wow. of things. A lot of uh, exploitation. Oh, yeah, tons. <laughs> I mean, if we want to get into child labor laws, too, uh, over in China. I know. That's the hard with thing Apple with the eye. And then, with all big tech. And then, yeah. Big tech, that it's back full circle to what I said earlier. If you have tens of millions of dollars or billions of dollars, you are exploiting someone. Because that money is now on you. It's because it was taken from somewhere else. Instead of the people making these products someone being paid 20 30 40 bucks an hour to make something um you're getting that and they're getting five bucks and now you're you're getting that you're getting that you're getting way more of it that's not right i don't agree with it i don't support it i do support it i am by by like i don't support it in 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 philosophy mm -hmm. but i do support it in practice because i am holding an iphone in my hand right now yeah now 
I wish I didn't. It wasn't like that. I wish that this iPhone wasn't a huge part of my my business and my teaching and all the answering, all the emails. I I could almost work most of the day, aside from when I have to do post production. I could almost work most of the day off my phone anywhere, and I usually do. From social media to student emails to looking at something to reading something to research to responding to the other emails to talking to people to responding to text, all of it is done through the phone. And it's a huge part of my career, life, job, and passion. But I am always frustrated with where it comes from and the money behind it. You know, I'm disgusted by it at times. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And the only thing I can do is like, well, I, I could try to do something better for this planet and world and the culture around me and, and Chicagoland area and musicians and artists. If it means I have to use these phone, this phone, that laptop, the technology behind it, Sony camera then I guess like that's my only way of justifying it. I don't know if that's right. I don't know if I'm correct in thinking that way, but it's all I have. Because well, if I dr- we don't have luxuries like I like what do they call it? No, because uh, my brother just got his fiance a ring. It's no conflict ring. Basically, it just means that it was not harvested in a uh, what's that like the movie Blood Diamond? Not inhumane way. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just like there are no non-conflict iPhones. No, it's not possible. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we're in that. Not as an in individual, that. it's not. But I mean, I I have many creative ways of making jewelry. I have, I have a fairly amazing idea for an engagement ring or wedding ring that I'll keep to myself. But it's good, and That's it's cool. it's free. That's really cool. Yeah, Is I it would a skateboard bearing because that would be mine. <laughs> <laughs> I will not spend much money on one of those. One the skateboard day. bearing's only like twenty bucks, so it has to fit the <laughs> the finger though. It you know how true. do you size? That's hard to size. Hey, babe, <laughs> just like feel the ring finger for a minute. My uncle's engagement ring was a rubber band, so yeah, I've seen it. But uh, yeah, no, there's. I think it's ridiculous. The, the whole engagement ring thing wedding ring thing drives me crazy because i'm like if we want if we really ladies i'm talking to you if you really want equality why is the man doing it Uh, like most of the time why why wait do women give men engagement does not happen often i'll tell you that (laughs) (laughs) it it can and has happened and will happen but yeah i'm gonna throw a number out there from what i've heard maybe less than one percent okay so just maybe more now than ever but it's not a lot I've never heard. I don't know anybody person that have done that. Well, marriage itself is such an old tradition. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, Absolutely. Because you could just live with somebody your whole life and not. Aside it turns from into the, a legal thing. I was just gonna say, aside from taxes and different like benefits, even that you just get, combining your credit to buy a house or a car. Yeah. There's legal parts of it. It's society's way of keeping society stable. Relationships are more likely to last if you're marriage. Um, because you're bound to them. I'm not saying it's a good reason why it's lasting. What if they're abusive or terrible, but you're bound to them, you feel more obligated to stay, you tend to have kids if you're married, you're more likely to buy a house and own property, you're more likely to buy a car and own that, a boat, a second home, it doesn't really matter, you're more likely to do those things. So it kind of stabilizes society in general. Um, or at least that's what we think it does. Yeah. We, we haven't tried much. Of a, of a different way. so We might it, be going into an era like that. I think we are. I think so. I think so. But they still combine it. Like, even if you're not married and you're going in a house, they're still going to combine your credit. Hmm. You know? Just, Interesting. Yeah. So, but, yeah, I don't I don't get the whole uh, 
like a man's got to propose, get on one knee, buy this expensive ring, it's got to have a diamond. I don't care what anybody says, you're not going to change my mind. I disagree with all of that so much. And if I get on two knees, I just look like a walrus. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine me like right now on two knees? Like you just look like a walrus. With that hair? Yeah. That hair is alive. (laughs) It is alive. It is alive. It is long. It speaks. When's the last time you cut it? I was uh, 17. Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, I get little trims, you know, but I was 17, so yeah, about. Wow. That's crazy. It was much, it was different years. then because of the weight of it. It wasn't pulled out straight. Like, it was, like, more bunched up and curly. Yeah. But was, I think the length or, brings it down. Yeah. Interesting. It's a lot. I wonder how it looks in the camera. Probably silly with the headphones. That's all right. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it's just air. Yeah, I don't know. I, I really enjoy the... Um, the equality of male and female conversation because it's so fascinating how much we want that, but it's never really applied in theory. Like, there is still always that weird dynamic of like, well, the woman will still always get what they want. The man still has to succumb to them by, at the end of the day and the man has to like buy them roses and the, the, the whole wedding ring and the date thing and the this and the that and the ple- like the like like pleasing them with with gifts it's like all of it i'm like this is all nonsense well and I hate it all. you said it what was it that society is i don't know if you said it exactly like this but programmed us i mean it's almost like cuz i feel like i'm in a relationship that's so reciprocal on a man and woman level where it's just we don't think of it in terms of that like you know what i mean like mm-hmm. if i do something that's chivalrous it's cuz i want to I don't really feel any obligation to do it. Yeah. So I wonder if for so long there was just such a societal obligation to chivalry that now it's like <laughs> an option, you would say. Mm-hmm. You know, equality creates like opening a door for a woman, an option. It's not like it's a necessity to yeah. open her door. Yeah. But you can do it and it's like comes off as like a sweet act, you know, like a little mm-hmm. act of kindness. And it's in that moment, it's like cute, you know, nice, but it's not a make or break. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like we're getting into an age where the maybe what we would just call old fashioned is a choice, you know. And then if you choose to do that, it's just because you like. It's like you like the tradition, you know. Like for me, like personally, like I won't mind getting. I no, I won't at all. Like mind getting a ring. It'll be it'll be fun to be like, wow, this is my day. I get to do this. I get to supply her with something that represents something, whether or not it should. Right, and mm-hmm. it shouldn't. And I won't be with somebody who cares about how big the diamond is. Mm-hmm. It could be a rubber band. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so I'm I'm about that. I'm not trying to say like a man needs to supply a ten thousand dollar ring. No, but I don't. But, but why even the idea that the notion that you you have to yeah that you're doing it. why not her? Why not her? I guess it's just gone from tradition for so long that flipping the script would be exactly that. It would be flipping the script. It'd be like celebrating Christmas on New Year's and New Year's on I'll Christmas. I'll do that. It's all arbitrary anyway. They're all made yeah. up anyway. Yeah, I mean, honestly, now that I say it out loud, it is. It's just an option. I wonder if it's just whoever gets there first. I would like that in a relationship. It's like, it's not like it's just up to me to get a ring. I'll get a ring if I get to it first. But if you want to propose first, like, by all means, yeah. I'll take a ring. I like I like it so much more when people just do what is in their heart instead of following what mm-hmm. has been told, yeah. what they've been told to follow. Yeah. You should, if you want to marry someone, marry them. If you don't, don't. You shouldn't have to get an expensive ring. The Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, these Hallmark holidays, they're so pathetic. 
<laughs> God, they're so. Lame. I'm such a romantic though that I like look for every occasion. I'm like card, flower. See, I am. I would argue you, you would be more of a romantic if you did it regardless. Oh, I do do it regardless. Like regardless, I look audience. forward to like random. I days ignore like this. I won't, I'm not going to hang out with you on that day. That's how much I'm against it. I'm a rebel. That's so funny. I hate it. It's just so contrived. It's so corny. Like I, I'm, I am ridiculously romantic. It's a problem <laughs> to my own detriment. It's hurt me way more than it's helped me. Yeah, you'd never spend seven hundred dollars in a week on a girl. Uh, we don't have to talk about that. Yes, I got him. <laughs> I got him on one. Got him on one. Um, no, it's, but yeah, the the holiday thing, it's because of this. It's like, dude, you could not think of anything more creative than chocolates, roses, and a card on a day that everyone else is doing it. But babe. (laughs) Babe. (laughs) Babe. (laughs) Come on, babe. Oh, dude. She's so, I brought the chocolates. She's so mad at me. Why? I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. Yeah. (laughs) Classic. <laughs> uh, some guys are hilarious. When I hear some of my guy friends talk about their situations, it cracks me up. I'm like, how do you not know? Like, Yeah, how did you not you're, know? You really are being like a guy right now. Yeah. You're, you're, you're making me look bad. Like, I'm really trying here. <laughs> and you, it's, it's, you're making me look bad. You're giving guys a bad name. There's women who give women a bad name too, though. The ones that are a bit much. Like, oh my God, he didn't give me that big of a diamond. Or like, we're not going to Greece for... For two weeks. We're only going for for one week. Like just... What? We're only going for one? <laughs> Wait, one? That's it? I'd be pissed. Is that enough time that. to see the Pathion? Pathanon? Pathion? I don't know what it's called. Parthenon? Parthenon. <laughs> Pathion. Pathion. The marathon? The marathon. <laughs> oh, I love that marathon. The Pantheon? Did you guys see the marathon in Greece? It was so good. I went to the Chicago marathon in uh, October oh, 10th. Right. My friend Eddie and his girlfriend Kat ran it. It was really cool. It was wild. Super awesome to be like, within the middle of that it's mm-hmm. such a thing they, what they do the city is all shut down and just roaming the streets shut down was really weird it felt like I was in Vanilla Sky in Chicago you know that movie? no oh. Tom Cruise is like walking around um, New York specifically he's going around uh, Times Square and it's like mm-hmm. empty and it felt like that but in Chicago it was like just vacant just walking around Michigan Avenue with not a person or a car around Weird, really weird. It's like eerie. that at uh, Lollapalooza right afterwards, like 300,000 people rush the <laughs> yeah. city streets, and it's yeah. like the coolest feel. You feel like you could push over cars. It's like dangerous. Like, you just get that energy. You ever yeah. seen that movie Hot Rod with um, Andy Samberg? I, I think so when it came it's out mo- many years enough, ago. Funny enough, moped movie. <laughs> Themes of moped, dude. Mo- I can't escape. I want to build an electric bike. Like I built this moped once then, right after that moped experience. I got all into mopeds. Moped, moped, moped. And... um so I like bought this little, or I had a buddy, he bought me it for my birthday, which was super nice. He was just like, what do you want? And I was like, no, man, you don't have to get me something. And he's <laughs> like, I'll get you something. And I was like, that's hilarious. I want to build this moped. So he got me this little engine kit for like 80 bucks and I put it onto a bike. But the second I finished building it, I had the same feeling of I need to get rid of this. I like started riding it and I was like, this is dangerous. And I just sold it like the second I built it. Mm-hmm. But now I want to build an electric bike and um, I'm getting fun. I'm waiting to get funds for that. So below there's a GoFundMe link um, if you'd <laughs> like to click that. Uh, no, I'm joking. I'm not going to do a GoFundMe to build an electric Although I thought about like how it funny it'd be to do a GoFundMe to get like rent for a month and just be like straight up just be like listen man it's been a tough one just I don't, need do 200 bucks yes 
<laughs> like, but you want to know what makes me feel bad is there are people who like need surgeries and they're using GoFundMe. And then I like my ass posts like I just need 200 bucks. It's not that bad. It's not bad. You could find a side job on Craigslist for 200 bucks. Oh, easily. Yeah. I mean, I Uber too. So it's just Uber side money if I ever need to. Ubering's awesome. It's pretty I've funny. I've never done it. I've, I've really even used it. I think I've only been in, been in a Uber four times and I wasn't even the person behind like making it happen or paying for it. Yeah. I never use it anywhere I go I have my car or it's public transportation or I walk or I'm with someone who has a car I, I mean just... it's a godsend when you need it but you know what sucks is Nashville has awful public transit uh... so there's like no way of getting around the city with like the buses because they do this yeah. bo- boomerang system where it goes from like here to over here to back here to there so it's not like in Chicago where it goes like one block and then just stops and yeah. goes two blocks and stops yeah. so it's like Chicago's is great oh, it's awesome it's really good yeah. it's done well it can improve, but for what it is, given all the people and how big it is, it's mm-hmm. it's really it's really nice. Hell yeah, it's super accessible. I mean, mm-hmm. New York's an incredible public transportation thing too, but it's such a shit show. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty insane. New York's is. I insane. mean, that stuff's in like that stuff's in a foreign language to me sometimes when I'm there. It's definitely laid out in a strange way, but it's so big. There's just so much more people. Yeah, it's so populated and so overwhelming. The bus, the, the trains are bigger. They have you know they'll have two subways on top of each other. Yeah. It's and like, we're just whoa. measly Chicagoans, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what do we know? Yeah. <sighs> Man. Well, Mitch. Well, hell yeah. Is there anything you want to promote before we um, end? I don't even know how it's been a while. Yeah, I don't know. Two hours and 45 minutes. Damn. That's a hell of an episode. Okay. It's been, that went fast. Yeah, that went by really fast. Right? I had a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. It's been so nice to see you again after, I can't believe, five years. Five years. But I'm glad that you've had your crazy stories <laughs> and you've done this, you've done that. A lot of experience, good stuff, bad stuff. You've learned mm-hmm. a lot. You know not to spend 700 bucks a week on a lady now. Yes. Spend oh 800. God, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Double or nothing. Let's hit 1,400. <laughs> Dude, we almost went to L.A. It was like day two and I was like, you want to go to L.A.? <laughs> You haven't learned I'm anything. I'm not even kidding. Like, you haven't learned anything. Like, I was, like, literally day two into that moped oh. relationship, and we almost went to... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you crack me up, my friend. <laughs> okay. Promotion. All right, all right. Art positive. Um, so I have an EP coming out soon. I don't know when this... When will this episode air? Wednesday, a week from today. Oh, shit, really? Mm-hmm. So my EP may or may not be December, out by then. December 1st. 1st? Okay, so it'll be right before then. So December 3rd, EP, Hide the Knives. It's my first uh, EP. I mean, I've made records before, but I feel like this is like the first definitive one I'm like standing behind and like being like, no, this is me. So I got Hide the Knives coming up. Uh, I'm working with two artists. One, her name is Marta Palombo, and the other's name is Lindsay Fields. Both of them have music out right now. Uh, beautiful folk, indie folk, ethereal kind of music. Um, so I got my EP, Hide the Knives, and then their releases. And then I'm trying to think what else. I got another record that I'm working on, but I'll just promote it when that time comes up. So Hide the Knives, Hide the Knives, Hide the Knives. Oh, and take your medication, go to therapy, and go see a psychiatrist if you feel you need to because life's too short to not. Um, get insurance if you can afford it, and if you can't, reach out to those who can help you. Um, I think a lot of people are a lot more giving than we think. So that's why I even mentioned the GoFundMe thing. I've seen a lot of friends post for surgeries, and like you know, that's a great platform for it. I've seen thousands, like $10,000 raised just for friends. I have a 
friend right now who actually just got diagnosed with leukemia. And um, she's having like a ton of GoFundMes right now just for all the surgeries and driving. I think she's trying to make like 25 grand. So um, yeah, in terms of medical expenses, it's doable. It just takes some crowdsource crowdfunding and all that, but take your medication, go to therapy, listen to music, be nice to one another, um, be understanding and have fun. Yeah, have fun. Well said. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you, Ben. Take care. Yeah, Bye. Bye.